This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared it's a women jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, um, I guess I'm just going to say right off the bat that I, I feel, you know, a certain weight has been lifted off our shoulders in terms of uh, the minute-to-minute conspiracy theorizing that has plagued us, uh, certainly for the last month or two, but really for the last, I don't know, four years. And Um, we've been very focused, if you will, on the terrestrial plane. Um, And admittedly at that, not even a very sophisticated, um, you know, focus on that terrestrial plane. You know, we've been worried about P-tapes, phone calls, um, uh, redoing the... Rose Garden flowers. Hunter Biden's dick. Hunter Biden's uh, dick. Um, crack rocks. Things yes, of that. Uh, you know, should business deal, LLC contracts, tax returns, and uh, uh, when uh, is Hillary going to be hung, um, et cetera? You know, oh, and yeah. we'll be pushing back the date. Talk about something that we had to wait forever for and never happened. Uh, you know. Uh, right? yeah, people thought they were being impatient with the election. Think about how the Q people felt. Uh, um, they are. Yeah. They're having a rough <laughs> one this week. They're having a rough one. But even out on the bleeding edge of QAnon, you never really saw. Um, you never really saw them diving over the threshold, piercing the veil, or soaring. Yeah, last week, well, on Alwara, we kind of were, um, you know, diving uh, into the the subterranean sphere or the. Uh, you know, beyond the the threshold of uh, of the deep, and now we're maybe we're going to a different type of deep, into the we depths are of, going of to the unknown above. We're watching the skies. Uh, we're yeah, that's right. We're we're all going to school today because uh, <laughs> for the next next two to almost three hours, we're we're going to be enrolling all of y'all in the to the stars academy, uh, and you're going to yes. graduate with a master's degree. In the truth. Yes. Um, First off, uh, so this is actually kind of our first episode that we've actually, like, really dealt with the world of, like, ufology. Like, we did our Urantia episode. 
we've sure. like talked about ETs. Like we've kind of been like slowly, like we in in the Lily episode that we just did for Awara, we kind of got to like you know some ET stuff. We've been brushing up against it. We've never really done an episode like that was really like straight up, you know, Grays, ET Roswell, you know, UFOs, Zeta Reticulans, yeah, 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 Betty and Barney Hill, etc. Um, you know, Project Blue Book, blah blah. Um, so, yeah, have you ever seen a UFO, Dimitri? Uh, no, though I know people who claim to have. Uh, I actually, just like I had a a prophetic dream about 9-11, I actually Mm -hmm. have seen a UFO, but... Really? uh, Yeah, but it didn't have, uh, the five observables, according to To The Stars Academy, you know, it didn't do any of the, like, cool, you know, it didn't, like, zigzag around, like, or, uh, really... What it seemed like, uh, I was coming up out of the subway uh, in New York around, uh, like, uh, I think I was on Avenue of the Americas, like, 6th Avenue, mm-hmm. um, uh, like, kind of near Washington, I think maybe, like, 14th Street and 6th Avenue. I might have even co- been coming back from, from where you live, but I'm not sure if that was the case. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, and as I was getting out of the subway, I saw, like, this thing in the sky that was, like, this wisp of fire uh, that was, like, uh, twisting upwards. You know, I would have, like, you know, if I was going to say, like, it was something, it almost kind of looked like there was, like, a hot air balloon. Like, my thought was, like, is that, like, a hot air balloon that, like, you know, has the fire going, but I can't see it. But, of course, like, it wasn't that because it would have illuminated the whole balloon. But mm-hmm. it was basically just, like, this floating, like, fiery thing that was kind of, like, drifting upwards into the sky. And uh, it... You know, it could have been, like, maybe, like, some flaming... I don't know. It was bizarre. Uh, I didn't... Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't do any kind of, like, typical UFO stuff. It didn't look like a saucer. But I did see that UFO. It was a UFO in the sense of, like, the Jimmy Carter sense of, like, you know, like, I could not identify what it was. You know? Like, I could... <laughs> okay, like, couldn't, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was. Um, I'm not going to say that it was uh, an ET, but I did see that strange uh, that strange thing in the sky. Um, yeah. Hmm. I mean... I was, like, big into UFOs, like, when I was young, uh, mm-hmm. like, super big into them, uh, like, and into all paranormal things in general. I guess I was probably a little bit like Tom, uh, one of our, one of our uh, you know, main characters in this, in this podcast, uh, Tom DeLong, who Tom was, DeLong. Uh, you know, really into that stuff, and uh, formerly of Blink-182, who I guess would, like, you know, while his tour bus was parked or whatever, would be like, come on, guys, we were going to go find Bigfoot, like, in the woods, you know, like, uh, I was really into all that, like, uh, you know, stuff growing up, and uh, one of the things that just really, like, blew my mind, and, like, you know, uh, uh, is something that I actually saw while reading up for this episode, I saw Tom DeLonge kind of promoting, uh, which was when I, you know, I used to play the oboe, uh, and my oboe <laughs> teacher was, like, this kind of cool, young, you know, like, uh, she seemed obviously like an adult, but, like, he was probably younger than I, was younger than I, than I am now, um, and, uh, she, like, uh, you know, I asked her, like, some kind of philosophical question about, like, God or Jesus, mm-hmm. and, uh, she was like, you know, I was like, do you think, like, Jesus was God or whatever? And she's like, eh, you don't want to know what I think. And I was like, no, like, you know, of course, I was, like, in, you know, eighth grade or, like, sixth grade, like, somewhere uh-huh. there, you know? So, like, you know, I was like, uh, no, come on, you know? And, and she was like, no. And I was like, no, please, you know? Like, she's like, okay, fine. Like, and I simply remember she goes, like, I believe that the Virgin Mary was abducted by aliens Whoa. and impregnated 
and the baby that she had was Jesus or whatever. Wow. Um, and that just like blew my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, like for a while, uh, you know, I was big into that type of stuff. Um, and I think uh, I saw some article where Tom DeLonge was uh, floating the same idea that, like, you know, oh, the star, you know, was it a star or was it a craft, you know? He but, actually, yeah, he actually did mention, I think, at one point that uh, the possibility that uh, that aliens were present at the birth of Jesus. Well, yeah, and you know what? I almost feel like, to, and I think we're going to go into some of these theories uh, in this episode, like sort of the, the Jack Filet uh, type of theories who's sort of adjacent to that, that whole group now, it seems. But, you know, I really think for a while, yeah, I was like, you know, when I was young, I was really into all paranormal things, always entertaining things, but, uh, you know, n- not like a very big God believer, like very atheistic, like very mm-hmm. much like new atheist type. Then I went through, you know, uh, a while of being kind of dismissive of the paranormal in general, you know, like the whole, like, where's the evidence, blah, blah, blah. Um, then, uh, you know, uh, when I became more religious, I started to get, uh, you know, more open to the paranormal again. And I think that the kind of binary that's implicit in some of that, like, stuff like, oh, you know, like, really, the chariot of fire was like a UFO. Like, I think mm-hmm. that stuff is, like, kind of a red herring, and I think that instead of, like, saying, like, you know, going back and, like, redrawing these stories from the Bible, like, in terms of, like, UFO stuff, it's sometimes more helpful to, like, consider this contemporary UFO stuff through, like, a, a religious paradigm rather than vice versa, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I think we'll go, we'll go into some of that because uh, there's also yeah, some very I, uh, terrestrial sauciness going oh, on of course, uh, of course. In, in this whole domain. And, and I regret that I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's perhaps outside of the scope of our episode today, mainly because uh, I ordered this book several weeks ago and then uh, it was canceled and I never oh, received yeah. it. But uh, the book American Cosmic, which I think came out a year or two ago, um, I want to say by uh, Diana Pasolka in yeah 2019 and she particularly explores the intersections of like ufos religion and technology in that book i I had heard a few interviews with her but um i think that's like a spot on uh kind of vector to approach this from is the religious aspect in a kind mm-hmm. of lowercase r sense of yeah. people's faith in UFOs. And yeah. I mean, the, it, it almost, you could launch into like such a deep wormhole or so many different wormholes with, when you start to get into the more mm, speculative culture around like who are flying these secret machines or these yeah. UFOs <laughs> and things like that. And I think uh, you're right also that that's where we get into a lot of susness in these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think t- today maybe we can... I'm sure, like, Jacques Vallée, who appears in the documentary that I think we're, we're going to use as our, like, main jumping-off point, which mm-hmm. is the Phenomenon, which came out earlier right. this year. Yeah, Jacques Vallée was, like, deeply involved in the making of that, and he appears in it, you know, throughout mm-hmm. as, like, a talking head. Yeah, although and it didn't really go into, like, some of his theories about it so much. Like, he didn't really get to voice some of his more interesting stuff, but I think it's good to maybe bring some of that stuff to the table, because it is interesting, and it... It uh, combines with some of the other stuff in in an interesting way. Yeah, Uh, and he was one of these guys also that I think was definitely involved in kind of like early cybernetics and kind of proto-internet stuff. Yeah, Yeah, ARPANET. He He wrote a book I think called The Network Revolution, which uh, I have a PDF of. I've been meaning to crack it, which I think... uh, 
have has some interesting observations from the 70s about like the future of a networked society and uh probably has some prescient comments in it i would mm-hmm. i would think um yeah. but but we're really we're going to focus like primarily um on <clears throat> the vector of this movie, the phenomenon, this documentary, which is a, a, a product of Tom DeLonge's To the Stars Academy, which he's been running for several years now, and which came to the attention, well, of me personally. Um, I'll never forget this, like in the very first batches of Podesta emails that were released <laughs> yeah. just around this time four years ago. Like before, before spirit cooking, before comet ping pong, before any of that jazz caught on, people were like sniffing around looking for something, you know, shocking, weird, uh, incriminating. And like the first thing I found that made me like really kind of like do a double take were like all these emails from Tong DeLong to John Podesta about UFOs. And, yeah. you know, I mean, these are, like, and real emails. And it also emails. seemed like that a lot of the people on his team, even, like, who knew him well on the Clinton campaign team, didn't quite realize that John Podesta was, like, a UFO enthusiast to the extreme. Uh, I guess you know, perhaps like it, not, though it's always been a strange current in, like, the Clinton, the sort of yeah. the Clinton camp of, like, those Democrats is, like, Bill Clinton has joked before, I think even Hillary joked about, yeah, well, like, well, I'm going to declassify. Get to the bottom of it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, Trump said something like, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm not a big believer myself, you know, like, uh, but, you know, I'll look, like, they all say the same thing, which is like, yeah, I'll look into it, but then, like, nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, Bill Clinton uh, but, said, you know, you know like, I've got to admit, with a little bit of embarrassment, I did try, but, you know, if they found it, he doesn't even really say that, uh, I mean, he's being cheeky, but he doesn't yeah. even really say in this one interview that's in the movie, like, whether or not he personally believes that it's real, but says, like, if there was something, I wasn't able to find out about it. Hmm. And kind of alluded to, like, yeah, there is kind of a, you know, a deep state, if you will, that yeah. uh, he said it wouldn't be the first time that, uh, you know, uh, military people and bureaucrats held something back from the president, um, which mm. I think is probably true. Um, yeah, definitely. But, uh, but you know, Tom along like, once he... He's ultimately a civilian, you know, so the president's a civilian, so, yeah. Or, I, well, is he though? He's the commander in chief. I guess not. I guess he's the commander in chief. So, yeah. But, uh, well, he'll go back to being one, you know? Uh, so, yeah, it's a temporary agreement. You can't, you know. You can't, yeah, you, you can't tell too much. So uh, as far I mean, so back in the era of like these Podesta emails, um, he was basically like he he was discussing this thing with John Podesta that he kind of I guess he had already interviewed John Podesta for a documentary that he was making. Um, like he says, I think in maybe one of the early emails. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, this is two one two five, so low in the count. Um, in 2015, he says, Hi, John. Tom DeLong here, the one who interviewed you for that special documentary not too long ago. Um, and things are moving with the project. The novels, films, and nonfiction works are blooming and finishing. Just had a preliminary meeting with Spielberg's chief operating officer at DreamWorks. More meetings are now in the books. I would like to bring two very, he puts in quotes, important people out to meet you in D.C. I think you will find them very interesting, as they were principal leadership relating to our sensitive topic. Both were in charge of most fragile divisions, as it relates to classified science and DOD topics. Other words, these are A-level officials. Worth our time, as well as the investment to bring all the way out to you. I just need two hours from you. 
just looking to have a casual and private conversation in person. Here are some photos from the material I'm using as I meet with studio partners. Best, Tom DeLong. So, uh, you know, he was already, like, uh, To the Stars already up and running, but, like, he's reaching out to John Podesta, who at the time was a senior advisor to Barack Obama and Hillary's uh, campaign manager. And, um... Yeah. There's all kinds of things like this back and forth where... It's so uh, vague, like, what to the Stars Academy even does. Like, one of the weirdest things that I dug up about them was that they have this contract with the Army based on, like, providing some kind of materials that they allegedly possess. Yes. uh, Which is, like, extremely strange. Um, And it has, like, you know... uh, the army, uh, yeah, basically, like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Going I see this. Was this, this a, yeah. from that article from The Drive? That, yeah, from um, The Drive. What, yeah, that's yeah. Article, like, you know, one of the articles attesting to it. Um, TTSA's technolo- technology solutions, which leverage developments in material science, space-time metric engineering, quantum physics, beamed energy propulsion, and active camouflage, have the potential to enhance survivability and effectiveness of multiple army systems. That's from the, to the Stars Academy's own press release, uh, and uh, the um, deputy project manager for science technology in the vehicle production systems division of GVSC, uh, which is the Army's ground vehicle system center. Uh, writes, our partnership with TTSA serves as an exciting, non-traditional source of novel materials and transformational technologies to enhance our military ground system capabilities. As the Army's ground vehicle system center, we look forward to this partnership and the potential technical innovations forthcoming. Uh, what? Like, um, <laughs> like, so what? Also, like, they have these materials? Like, uh... So, yeah, I mean, also it's interesting that this article mentions that the the people in the ground vehicle survivability and protection, the GVSP program, um, are listed as the principal investigators on the Army side. And TTSA's principal investigator is Luis Elizondo, who yeah, is the organization's director of global security and special programs. It does say here, and we'll probably get to this later, like Elizondo has claimed in the past to have been in charge of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification program ATIP, which had the ostensible mission of exploring various UAP sightings and was situated for a period under the office of the Secretary of Defense. But more recent reports had called into question his precise relationship with that program. And we found a bunch of other stuff, too. He's basically this guy, Luis Elizondo, claimed to be a part of this, like, secret Pentagon program, ATIP, that was set up uh, partly at the urging of Senator Harry Reid, who appears in the Phenomenon documentary. He and got, like, Daniel Inoue and, like, one other guy to, like, sort of sneak in this, like, weird program. Uh, and that was the one the New York Times... Like, Louis Elizondo was the main sort of uh, subject and the main point person for that New York Times article that came out uh, like, in 2019 yes. that caused, like, a big stir. It was like, what? Like, UFOs are real? Like, and everyone's like, well, 2019 cannot get crazier. Like, there's <laughs> aliens now, you know? I remember Can that. 2019 I remember that. be over already? You know, like, uh... <laughs> oh, but, see uh, how, how... Yeah, exactly. How good we but had it. it. was like, Can 2019 get any crazier? Um, <laughs> like, so... No, it's... It, and that, that's a really important yeah. point, is, like, this To the Stars Academy, and by Tom DeLonge's own admission... And, like, his pitch that he was giving to Podesta and others was that he was going to be kind of like the PR campaign for UFO disclosure and bring it out in, like, a real 
and uh, entertaining and, like, you know, classy way that can finally settle the question that, like, UFOs are, in fact, real and um, give a platform for certain, you know, government uh, people that have worked on these things to, like, come out and, like, share a certain amount of information because John uh, Tom DeLong is, you know, very clear from the get-go that he, he says his pitch to, like, the military guys was, like, look, like, what you did 70 years ago was awesome. And if I was in your position, like, I would have done the same thing. I would have kept it <laughs> secret, too, because I think you guys, like, I believe in you guys. And, like, I think the U.S. military, you know, you guys are, like, the smartest people in the world. And, uh, but, you know, all this, you know, nobody knows because, you know, you have to keep it secret. So all these crazy conspiracies come about, you know, that are saying, uh, you know, all kinds of bad things about you guys. But, like, I want to make sure that, like, you're celebrated and the American people, like, appreciate what the Pentagon has done. <laughs> like, um, um, reverse yeah. engineer UFO technology. And I guess they um, ostensibly responded well to that. Um uh, yeah, it's all very strange. And, like, the idea that they have, like, these... Like, it's just, like, so bizarre that, like, if he's all about disclosure, like, and you presumably have, like, something in the way of these, like, quote-unquote materials, like, why don't you do, like, a Thomas Edison-style, like, open expo or, like, set up a camera, you know, like, use your money that you have from being able to need to to, like, buy, like, a nice camera or like mm-hmm. you know, big. Uh, I mean, I mean, now we have COVID, but whatever. You know, uh, uh, have some kind of event or whatever, and just demonstrate the like super. You know, the the special or sort of incomprehensible properties of these materials to the mm-hmm. world, and be like, these come from UFOs. Like, you know, just disclose it. Like, I don't get it. Like, they're always like disclosure is a process and it has begun, but yes. that is inherently sus to me. Like, it is. Uh, well, it sounds yeah. a lot like like QAnon. Like it's yeah. coming, na- and Trust I think that's the pro- plan. Yeah, QAnon probably uh, whoever you know was fully behind it was probably like aware of the dissemination of UFO conspiracy discourse on the internet, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and and like the popularity of like a LMAO discourse on 4chan, you know, mm-hmm. for many years. Um, and that that kind of trickle process of like we're gonna like put out this little thing, but it's not something that you can be proved. But do, but we're still in the fight. There's things going on. There's white hats. There's black hats behind the scenes. They're all fighting. Like and, and then even UFOs. I remember kind of um, having a little fun like years and years ago, maybe around like 2014, of like finding some of these more old school kind of like uh, UFO kind of centric conspiracy websites that had all of these like very imaginative but obviously kind of larpy narratives about i remember one in particular was about how like you know obviously george hw bush was in league with the probably the reptoids i think Mm -hmm. um you know the draco Mm -hmm. and um and uh, he he was like blackmailing Obama with his real right, birth certificate yes. or something, mm-hmm. and um, I and he, this. he yeah. was going to keep it secret as long as Obama like did his bidding. But it was really all about like the the alien agenda. And then right. there were like white hats that were like working with a benevolent ET race, and it, it just mapped on to whatever the political kind yeah. of uh, you know issues were of the day. But you could mm-hmm. just spin this almost fan fiction in between the margins and uh, create this whole cosmology. And that's something that I I think we saw kind of like fall by the wayside a little bit in the last like five years. 
Um, yeah, there's not it, so much like, uh, yeah, we were talking about this a little bit in the Giants episode, you know, like uh, that sort of uh, conspiracy theory, like around like, oh, there's all these Giants or something like it's just a rare commodity like nowadays. Like I remember we're going to we should definitely do our own like full episode about like dumbs, like deep underground military bases. Uh-huh. But one of my favorite stories is the Phil Schneider story of like getting blasted by like a, a energy beam from like a gray's belly button or whatever you know and like a delta force guy like jumping in and being like go oh yeah and, like, yeah yeah phil himself. schneider yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 exactly like the um, delta force team that was extracting yeah. him from the underground base yeah 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 um so yeah we definitely well we should do our own episode but yeah like uh it's yeah it's a different world and another aspect of it is i feel like the whole like idea of like the heroization of this is maybe a, a through line in a lot of our episodes, but like the conspiracy, the transformation of conspiracy discourse, there is a parallel to Q in a way because, like, you know, the military is all of a sudden like heroic. Like, and even in the age of the X Files, like, yeah. you know, they were all bad guys. You know, like uh-huh. everyone knew that, like, you know, uh, I mean, maybe like Mulder and Scully, they were in the FBI, like, but the mechanism of the FBI was still kind of bad and it was compromised and controlled by like the U S government. That was like the deep state was like in control, but yeah, they were evil and like they were up to no good. And like, they were trying to keep people in the dark, but like now all of a sudden they're like heroes, like in the, like Patriots, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're trying to accomplish disclosure. Like what the fuck? Like, uh, yeah, it's sus as hell. It's the Um, level of credulity that somebody like Tom DeLonge has. And I mean, watching his interviews and stuff, it's, you know, I don't know a lot of so many things he says are just kind of like on their face, kind of like, dude, really, Um, in terms of like his willingness to trust these people and being wowed by them. and, And you really are kind of teetering on like, is this guy just very gullible? And suggestible. Yeah. One of the funniest things that he said was like, you know, like, what is he bringing? I think it was in the show that they gave to Two the Stars Academy on History Channel, which, of course, mm-hmm. is like, you know, really more the UFO channel at this point. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, they have like a whole show. Yeah, like most of their content. I mean, well, I don't understand what this would have to do with history. I guess like, you know, our idea of American history would have to be revised if like, you know, there was evidence that the government had had contact with aliens. But Whatever. Anyway, the, the <laughs> point is yeah. that, like, this show as, you know, it doesn't really have anything to do with history, and I remember them asking, like, Tom DeLonge, you know, like, what do you bring, or Tom DeLonge, what do you bring to the table? You know, you have all these, like, big uh, government people or whatever, um, and, uh, you know, who are involved, like, uh, people who used to work at the high echelons of, like, these different intel agencies or, like, you know, for the Department of Defense or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're like, you know, what do you bring? And he's like, communication, you know. I know how to, like, communicate with the masses. You know, I- I'm, a- I'm a rock star or whatever. Yeah, it's like, all yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, okay, buddy. Like, uh... <laughs> You know, um, uh, well, yeah, th- that's the thing. It's like nobody else thought about the idea. There already was, just as you said, like on the History Channel, that like greatly predated the To the Stars Academy, where like every other show on the History Channel, circa like 2011, w- was basically ancient aliens, UFOs. I remember there was like a big mermaid special back in like 2012. Uh, yeah, mermaids that was like it, was, that it was on funny. Animal Planet? Uh, yeah, it was, it I forget. Yeah, I forget which one it was. I remember that it kind of. Uh, it like presented itself as real, but it people got tricked was... by it because it was like a mockumentary. It was like exactly, you know, it was a mockumentary. Yeah. It was very it was, um, yeah. Um, but people were, I remember people kind of being like, "Yo, you ever watched Ancient Aliens?" Like people were kind of watching that stuff, and there was kind of, I think, I think 2012 is the last kind of peak of popularity and sort of UFOE adjacent stuff. Um, yeah. 
and uh, maybe there's a lot of reasons why that was in like you know 2012 but i think there was um I think the History Channel had a lot to do with it. So the idea that, like, Tom DeLonge would be, like, the first guy to try to, like, monetize the culture around UFO stuff is a little bit, like, okay. I mean... There's a weird shift happening now, though, where, like, even the term UFO itself, like, we're being sort of, like, encouraged to now say, like, UAP... Yeah. Like, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Like, it's being kind of, like, rebranded. It mm-hmm. all started with that, like, you know, uh, like... Uh, the New York Times uh, article, I guess, yeah. like uh, which I guess was, was connected was, to this yeah. whole. It was connected to this whole network, and I think in that they 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 interviewed people from the To the Stars Academy. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. he's definitely. No, I mean, yeah. I'll give him credit where credit's due. Uh, he is kind of the public clearinghouse kind of go to organization now to sort of uh, publicize I mean certainly the military seems to be comfortable dumping these classified videos from you know fighter jets like into the lap of to the stars academy the New York Times feels comfortable going to them to talk yeah. about it and hold, and put these people out there as like experts so you immediately have to wonder like hmm like what's yeah. going on here there was like a 2017 article called glowing auras and black money the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program that I guess really launched all this. And there was another one in 2019, which I guess we mentioned, which was about sort of the Navy pilots and the UFO. So they've been doing yeah. a fair amount of reporting on this. But I found this article from The Intercept by Keith Clore, uh, which goes into, like, Louis Elizondo, who is in, like, he's a huge figure in Unidentified, the show about the Stars Academy. He's a, and this goes into kind of his connections and sort of, like, the discrepancies uh, between, like, you know, what The Intercept could discover and what The New York Times reported. So uh, he writes, uh, It's a story that launched Louis Elizondo into the public eye. The article that, quote, shocked the world, the narrator of Unidentified, their History Channel show, declares, before continuing, a clandestine U.S. government program had been investigating UFOs. For eight years, a secret program was run by this man, Louis Elizondo. The camera then pans to a visual of the former military intelligence case officer in a darkened house peering out warily through half-drawn window shades. (laughs) It's an odd scene. Is Elizondo on the lookout for aliens or a bad guy from his old spook life? Either way, the History Channel show, which premiered on Friday and is being promoted as groundbreaking nonfiction, goes on to follow Elizondo as he reinvestigates strange UFO incidents he says he learned of when he was at the Pentagon running the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, known as AATIP. ATIP. Uh, ATIP, I don't know. It's as if Agent Mulder had handed off his X-Files to another paranoid government agent, this one with a pug face and a billy goat beard. In the screener, I saw, wow, body shaming? Like, come on. Anyway, in the Mm. screener, I saw, for unidentified, the narrator says that Elizondo quit the Pentagon because he was, quote, frustrated by what he says was a cover-up. But, you know what, I did watch Unidentified, and I remember very clearly him saying a very uh, suspicious quote, which, I mean, you could read in an innocuous way, but uh, he said something like, yeah, he said, I left the Department of Defense because of my loyalty to the department, you know, not because of my disloyalty. Yes. So it yes. was like, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I watched the first episode of it, and uh, that was a, that was a, the same quote that he said. Anyway, so, uh, like, 
yes, AAATIP existed, and it did pursue research and investigation into unidentified aerial phenomena, Pentagon spokesperson Christopher Sherwood told me. However, he added, Mr. Elizondo had no responsibilities with regard to the AATIP program while he worked in uh, OUSDI, the Office of Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, up until the time he resigned, effective uh, October 4th, 2017. That directly contradicts an email sent by a spokesperson for To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, a UFO research and entertainment company that Elizondo joined after he left the Defense Department. I love how it's like also like arts and like the fan, like you know entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the email mm-hmm. was sent over a year ago by Carrie DeLong, uh, public relations representative for To the Stars, to John Greenwald, uh, no relation, a UFO researcher who runs an online archive of Freedom of Information Act obtained government documents on a website called The Black Vault. At the time, Greenwald had become frustrated at the lack of tangible information about ATIP and Elizondo's role. Additionally, Elizondo had spurned Greenwald's interview requests. Greenwald told me that he had asked DeLonge specifically where Elizondo worked within the Department of Defense when he ran AITIP. ATIP. Hi, John. Thanks for reaching out, DeLong wrote. The program was initially run out of uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency, but when Louis took over in 2010 as director, he ran it out of the Office for the Secretary of Defense under the Undersecretary of Defense, uh, sorry, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Hope that clarifies. Uh, I tried contacting Elizondo multiple times via email and his cell phone. He has not responded. Um, anyway, so basically, he it does not appear that he actually worked for the you know organization that he represents himself as having responsibilities to do with or actually having led uh which is extremely yeah, bizarre yeah. although yeah. it does verify that he was a pentagon yeah. employee and i think elsewhere in right. the article it does say like basically they ask him um i guess he self-described himself once as a career spy mm-hmm. and um and he also said that they asked him if he was still working as a government contractor at the time of this article. And he said, yes, but like it has nothing to do with. Um, um, yeah. Let, let, uh, let's see. He says um, this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Pentagon, like, you know, debunked this. And in the screener, it says Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, who we'll get to shortly. These guys yeah. still have security clearances, still have networks in Washington, still are in the business, if you will. Yeah, it does. That say last that. part sounds like a cryptic reference to contract work they might be doing for a U.S. intelligence agency or some other government entity. Elizondo confirmed to me earlier this year that he is, in fact, working as a government contractor. Quote, but it's not what you think it is, he said. Mellon did not respond to my request for comment. Um... Yeah, I mean, so he's still working as a government contractor. These guys have um, probably the most kind of pro-government posture of, like, any UFO conspiracy theorists ever, Yeah. Um, Yeah, Uh, even, like, uh, in his 2017 resignation letter to then-Defense Secretary James Mattis, which bears the apparent seal of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense, Elizondo alludes to internal opposition at the Pentagon to investigate UFOs that he wrote had menaced Navy pilots and posed an existential threat to our national security. Um, Mm. So he was leaving because the Pentagon wasn't taking that threat seriously, contrary to his statement that he had uh, great loyalty. But, um, yeah, Uh, so definitely, like, very pro, like, you know, defense. Like, uh, I mean, to the Stars Academy is, like, apparently, like, let's make a contract with, like, the Army to help develop, like, these important tools. Like... Uh, I feel like that is, like, contrary to everything that, like, UFO conspiracies used to stand for. 
like yes. the idea of like this disclosure organization like being like let's make a contract to like you know re- really like if I'm going through the to standard narrative, like, the the army would be, like, the people you'd steal the materials from, and, like, yes. you know, they would be, like, keeping them in a box somewhere, a hangar somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you wouldn't be, like, here you go, guys. Like... Hey, mom, there's something in the back room. Hope it's not the creatures from above. You used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring. We all know conspiracies are Definitely is a, a shift now that um, that is kind of you know very compatible for the the era of you know we need a, you know a coalition of like brave CIA officers and military generals to like get rid of Trump you know or something like that like like you hear people saying things that would sound kind of shocking like ten or fifteen years ago about like we need to invest our faith in the the Pentagon basically and like our intelligence agencies. Um, and we, somewhere along the way, so many people ended up becoming not suspicious of them. Um, and actually, yeah, this is a saucy detail just from the end of that article. Um, so, uh, Elizondo retired as an official at the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. A public record search also reveals a series of home addresses for Elizondo over the last two decades that are close to intelligence facilities in Toa Baja, Puerto Rico, at the site of an unacknowledged government surveillance program called Echelon, and in Grovetown, Georgia. Being from Georgia, I can assure you there is no reason anyone in their right mind would live in Grovetown unless they are working at Fort Gordon, home of the Army's principal signals intelligence units and school, Tim McMillan who, like Greenwald, has a long-time interest in UFOs and has come to doubt Elizondo's involvement with any government UFO program. In 2017, when Elizondo outed himself to the Times, he was portrayed as a reluctant whistleblower and a little paranoid. The three reporters who shared bylines in the story, including freelancer Leslie Keane, um, who wrote in 2016 that she was privileged to welcome Chris Mellon into the UFO organization to which she belonged, met Elizondo in a nondescript Washington hotel where he sat with his back to the wall, keeping an eye on the door. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, like, uh, that dude doubts that he definitely has some intelligence connections. He certainly did work for the Department of Defense, but like, what is his actual job? 
and what is its relation to UFOs. Like, it's certainly not exactly what he's conveyed it to be. No, Obviously, it's he's not. involved in UFO research and, like, UFO stuff, but, yeah. like, you know, he's not being forthright about his career. Uh, of course, of course. And I think that's, um, that's an important uh, thing to dwell upon because, like, there was a previous movie that came out, I don't know, maybe seven years ago. That was called Mirage Men. Yeah. And the the, the very... Is that really I mean, seven years ago? It seems so I think so. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it was 2013. Mm-hmm. But, um... And we, we almost did the episode based on Mirage Men, but since it was, like, a long time ago, uh, we'll, we'll just talk about it. And Yeah, uh, we wanted to do something a little broader, but it was still relevant to that movie. Because it is a great movie. And, like, it, it deals with, like, some of these, like, really important themes of, like the you know uncertainty and the deception involved in like some of this stuff like uh you know yeah, yeah. it's certainly uh, the the number one movie if you're interested in sort of the notion that the ufo culture itself is some kind of psyop that is being sort of fostered and controlled and uh, managed by the u.s military itself which is basically it presents a, a real life cases of that happening in the movie with the uh Air Force intelligence officer Richard Doty, who um, uh, basically started feeding, and and who knows why, you know, he felt comfortable to talk on camera for this documentary, or why the Air Force uh, sort of was okay with him doing it. He didn't seem to be particularly like on the outs with the Air Force when they mm-hmm. profiled him in Mirage Men, but he basically, I forget the name of the the ufologist who thought he saw UFOs at, uh, I think it was a base in maybe. New Mexico in the 1980s and um, he took some video of it and I think it was actually of some kind of classified you know airplane project that you know they were test flying and he went to um, this guy and claimed to be like an insider and was like I have been authorized to give you information very similar to Tom DeLong's situation where these like generals approach him out of the blue and act very dramatic and are like, you need to shut the fuck up and listen yeah. to what I have to say. Keep your eyes on the sky. Like stuff like that. Yeah. Like he's got his, he's got his yeah. one stars These and two guys. stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so basically like, I mean, he basically like fed this guy for years. He fed him kind of like doctored air force documents and maybe like videos and things like that. And this guy went on to become like a pretty big and I think even you know then other even bigger ufologists kind of adopted this guy's like story and made it a central part I forget the name of the guy whose reputation was like ruined by this because eventually I think in the 90s the the guy who had been approached by Richard Doty disclosed that he had been getting information from the Air Force and um and that like some of it was false and I think yeah, a lot of people made felt... up some kind of really interesting stuff about like, you know, uh, missions on their planets or whatever. Like I forget exactly what it was called. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Like it was a lot of like very lofty, lofty stuff. Um, a lot of lore, yeah, that yes. that got disseminated throughout the community, and then when it was exposed that this guy was, like, getting it from an Air Force intelligence officer, I guess people still had enough of a critical faculties back then to go, oh, no, like, you know, this is still the X-Files era. So um, I think he, he drove that guy to, like, have, like, a mental breakdown. The yeah. original guy he, like, approached and, like, ruined his life completely. And um, even though that movie does play a little coy with it talks to some other people who claim that, like, 
no, no, I actually saw, like, the body of an alien, and they Well, at the on... end, Richard Doty kind of says, yeah, that's interesting, because, like, at the end, that's, like, what's interesting about it, like, it's ambiguous in the end, like, because Richard Doty, I mean, again, he's someone who's, like, been established in the movie as, like, supremely dishonest, and basically a disinfo mm-hmm. agent, who, yeah. yeah, drove this guy insane with, like, hoaxing uh, a lot of stuff uh you know uh, related to ufos but he says like you know when i was first brought on to do this work for the government they showed me like a video of an alien and they said you know this is real like you know everything else is fake this is real so like mm-hmm. you know is he making up that story well exactly or was, lying he, to him? was he yeah was you know, he psyoped yeah, or you know did that really happen you know like uh yeah so it's yeah like there's like levels upon levels and yeah that's like what I think makes that like such a great movie is like the mysteriousness of like the whole uh, thing and like the whole like yeah. this uh, idea I feel like is uh, I wish I could find yeah I'll look for it uh, maybe later but uh, this whole idea of like the deception or that there's more to UFOs than uh, you know like meets like meets the eye even to like UFO researchers mm-hmm. uh, was something that. Like, even Jacques Vallée, who apparently now has... I mean, he not only has a sus background, like, with his connection with ARPANET and all that stuff, but has also some connections with the creators of this movie, The Phenomenon, and to the Stars Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the really... One of the real things that got me about this documentary was... The first time I heard about it was I heard about it in a clip from Tucker. Uh, where oh, yeah, he yeah like, Tucker had Chris Mellon on his show, like, a little yeah, over yeah, a yeah. month ago. And, yeah, and he was like, if it weren't an election year, we would do a whole week, you know, we'd do a whole hour on it, maybe even a whole week. It's that important. And it's like, sh- like what? Like, uh, okay. like Tucker is, I have to uh, say, t- Tucker is such a fucking deadhead. I uh, hate Tucker. It, it totally links up. I his love him. of the Grateful Dead and his love of UFOs, they totally sink. Um, um, yeah. That out. Anyway, so, yeah, he's deep into it. And, uh, yeah, so that's where I first heard of his documentary. But Jacques Vallée is featured very heavily in this. Um, and he was someone who, like, uh, you know, really had in the past gone into various levels of, like, this idea of there being some kind of, like, deception involved. One of the most interesting things he talked about in his book, uh, Passport to Magonia, and mm-hmm. the, the title of the book is a reference to kind of this mystical land where, like, weather witches were said to go, like, in the clouds. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little bit of a Salem cross over here, but, you know, we can't go too deeply into it now, maybe in the future. But, um, you know, or, you know, a witchcraft uh, cross over here. But uh, anyway, so he goes into something that John Keel, the Mothman Prophecies guy, uh, mm-hmm. actually kind of picked up on from him and also talked about, which is this whole phenomenon of, like, this airship flap that happened in uh, 1897, mm-hmm. where, like, a bunch of people saw... Um, all these, like, bizarre airships flying over uh, the American Midwest. Um, and they sort of looked like, uh, you know, it was interesting because their appearance, like, you know, was consistent with what people at the time would have imagined, like, a flying machine to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, he cites some interesting, like, uh, you know, little stories that I think are are worth uh, reading. So, um, all the operators who engaged with discussion with human witnesses were indistinguishable from the average American population at the time. This, for instance, is the experience related by Captain James Hooten, described in the Arkansas Gazette as the well-known Iron Mountain Railroad conductor. 
I had gone down to Texarkana to bring back a special, and uh, knowing that I would have some 8 to 10 hours to spend in Texarkana, I went to Homan, Arkansas, to do a little hunting. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I reached that place. The sport was good, and before I knew it, it was after 6 o'clock when I started to make my way back to the railroad station. As I was tramping through the bush, my attention was attracted by a familiar sound. A sound for all the world, like the working of air pump on a locomotive. I went at once in the direction of the sound, and there in the open space of some five or six acres, I saw the object making the noise. To say that I was astonished would, be, would but feebly express my feelings. I decided at once that this was the famous airship seen by so many people around in the country. There was a medium-sized looking man aboard, and I noticed that he was wearing smoked glasses. He was tinkering around what seemed to be the back end of the ship, and as I approached, I was too dumbfounded to speak. He looked at me in surprise and said, Good day, sir, good day, I asked. Is this the airship? And he replied, Yes, sir, whereupon three or four other men came out of what was apparently the keel of the ship. A close examination showed the keel was divided into two parts, terminating in front like the sharp edge of a knife-like edge, while the side of the ship bulged gradually towards the middle then receded, um, you know, I beg your pardon, sir, I said, uh, he, sa he says, there were three large wheels upon each side made of some bending metal and arranged so that they became concave as they moved forward. I beg your pardon, sir, I said, the noise sounds a great deal like a Westinghouse air brake. Perhaps it does, my friend. We're using condensed air in airplanes, but you will know more later on. Uh, yeah, already, sir, someone called out when the party all disappeared below. I observed that just in front of the wheel, a two, each wheel, a two-inch tube began to spurt air onto the wheels, and they commenced revolving. The ship gradually rose with a hissing sound. The airplane suddenly sprang forward, turning their sharp end skyward, and then the rudders at the end of the ship began to veer to one side, and the wheels revolved so fast they could scarcely see the blades. In less time than it takes to tell you, the ship had gone out of sight. So that's like a typical description of it. So you can see how that's like very like steampunk. Like yeah, very I was just gonna say like century. is this where is this literally where steampunk came from? Well, because, steampunk. Like, yeah, well, I was steampunk just thinking of the guy with based... the goggles. Like, hello, sir. Welcome to my flying well, ship. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, that, <laughs> steampunk is based on like you know old time like nineteenth century ideas of what the future would be like. Um, yeah. And so like this thing that was encountered you know if you take it at face value and like not maybe a lie or whatever uh then it was consistent with like you know the time like so this is what valet interprets you know that's his gloss on all this stuff what does it all mean is it reasonable to draw a parallel between religious apparitions the fairy faith the reports of dwarf-like beings with supernatural powers the airship tales in the united states in the last century and the present stories of ufo landings I would strongly argue that it is, for one simple reason. The mechanisms that have generated these various beliefs are identical. Their human context and their effect on humans are constant, and it is my conclusion that the observation of this very deep mechanism is a crucial one. It has little to do with the problem of what, knowing whether UFOs are physical objects or not. Attempting to understand the meaning, the purpose of the so-called flying saucers, as so many people are doing today, is just as futile as was the pursuit of the fairies, if one makes the mistake of confusing appearance and reality. The phenomenon has stable, invariant features, some of which we have tried to identify and label clearly. But we have also had to note carefully the chameleon-like character of the secondary attributes of the sightings. The shapes of the objects, the appearance of their occupants, their reported statements, vary as a function of the cultural environment into which they are projected. 
The airship stories are especially relevant in this connection, as we have seen a good number of bearded characters alighted in the Midwest and elsewhere in 1987, sorry, in 1897, always doing that, to request water from a well, bluestones, or other similar things. The stories they told were believable, if somewhat astounding, to American farmers of the time. The airship itself corresponded to the popular concept of an elaborate flying machine. It had wheels, turbines, wings, powerful lights. There is only one detail not yet dealt with. The fact that the airship, though it was believable to the witnesses of 1897, is no longer credible to us. We know very well that the devices described could not possibly fly unless its outside appearance was designed to deceive potential witnesses. But if so, why? And what was it? What was its purpose? Perhaps the airship, like the fairy tricks, the flying saucers, was a lie, so well engineered that its image in human consciousness could sink very deep indeed and then be forgotten, as UFO landings are forgotten, as the appearance of supernatural beings in the Middle Ages are forgotten. But then, are they really forgotten? Human actions are based on imagination, belief, and faith, not an objective observation, as military and political experts know well. Eh? Even <laughs> science, which claims its methods and theories are rationally developed, is really shaped by emotion and fancy, or by fear. And to control human imagination is to shape man's kind collective destiny, provided the source of this control is not identifiable by the public. And indeed, it is one of the objectives of any government's policies to prepare the public for unavoidable changes or to stimulate its activity in some desirable direction. Thus, the Soviets have skillfully employed the services of science fiction writers to supply the emotional support of their space effort among the young people. In the Western world, control over our imaginations is more diffuse. Okay. Yeah, and, many sources it... and many sources compete for it. But it is significant that intelligence agencies and advertising companies alike should be so highly interested in folklore. Not only are Batman and the Jolly Green Giant instances of interesting uh, mentions, anyway, are instances of experiments in this direction, the Vietnam War has seen similar appeals to public imagination through the use of local superstition. Shout out oh. Colonel Michael Aquino oh, and Operation Aquino. Wandering Soul. Yes. Recent discussions <laughs> in Congress regarding the advisability of military experimentation with witchcraft in black africa is also a case in point we're gonna oh, do an episode of that that yeah. is a, a um, big yeah. big bookmark i, I, on that I put one. that down uh i put you know i actually looked up the uh the discussion in congress that he mentions uh, yeah i took a note of that for the future but anyway um, i've got a bold i got some bold theories around that but uh, yeah yeah uh but anyway so you can see how like even though he kind of is suggesting like you know he's going kind of both ways with it and saying that like you know is it a government trick is it a trick by the aliens? Like this whole idea of, the, or the ultra terrestrials, as John Keel would call them, this mm. whole idea of deception being involved and like the what's experienced and the difference between that, you know, it's kind of a screen. Or like uh, sometimes in UFO accounts or alien abduction accounts, there's this whole idea of screen memories, you know, like that uh, you remember something, but then under hypnosis or whatever, or like just through the natural progress of time, that screen starts to break down, or like there's aspects of it that don't really quite make sense. And then the, sure. it, you know, the contactee or whatever realizes like, oh, wait, this was something that was placed here to cover up reality but you know is the reality the encounter just another kind of screen you know in this uh, in this world of screens that we now inhabit but uh <laughs> yes. yeah yes. um he also uh just you know to round this out he also actually mentioned in his uh in the phenomenon movie one of the big things that he mentioned was this uh memo called uh, uh he called it the pentacle memo which is a very provocative name mm -hmm. uh you know a pentacle of course being like uh you know like kind of a, a pentagram of, of which is sign you know like a and, uh, you know, it's, like, specifically magical is a pentacle, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
uh, you know, more so than just a pentagram, which could just be the shape. But anyway, yeah. so uh, he called, and of course he was interested in these things in folklore and whatnot. But anyway, so he called it the Pentacle Memo, although it was later revealed that the memo was written by uh, this guy, Howard Clinton Cross, or also known as just H.C. Cross, mm-hmm. who worked for uh, the Battelle uh, Memorial Institute. And was, mm-hmm. like, a dude, like, uh, who studied, like, exotic metallurgy. And he actually yeah. wrote, like, I found some papers by him that were just straight up about, like, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, going back to the metals thing, like, he was super into metallurgy and especially the military applications of metals, uh, particularly in aeronautics. So, uh, mm. anyway, but this is the letter that he wrote, which is uh, very interesting. So he wrote it to Miles E. Goal, um, mm. who, you know, we can, uh, we can uh, go into... Um, uh, a, a little bit later, like, uh, uh, who he was, but, uh, you know, people haven't been able to dig up too much for him, but yeah, uh, he was, you know, uh, an early kingpin at Wright Field and first worked as head of fire control for the armament lab during the war. Later, he was in T2 and controlled access to the special situation room. Very little else is known about him, but he did have great connections at Wright Field and the Pentagon. You know, uh, he's a mysterious figure, but anyway, so it's directed mm-hmm. to this, uh, directed to him from Howard C. Cross. This letter concerns a preliminary recommendation to the ATIC on future methods uh, of handling the problem of unidentified aerial objects. This recommendation is based on our experience to date in analyzing several thousands of reports on the subject. So an important point that, uh, you know, Jacques Vallée and, like, the creators of the documentary make is that this, like, proves that before Project Blue Book, before all this stuff, there were efforts to analyze all these reports that, mm-hmm. like, you know, aren't necessarily, like, known about in the same way Blue Book is. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we regard the recommendation as preliminary because our analysis is not yet complete and we are not able to document it where we feel it should be supported by facts from the analysis. We are making this rep- recommendation prematurely because of a CIA-sponsored meeting of a scientific panel, meeting in Washington, D.C., January 14th, 15th, and 16th, 1953, to consider the problem of flying saucers. Uh, the date of this letter is itself, uh, January 9th, 1953. Mm-hmm. Um, the CIA-sponsored meeting is being held subsequent to a meeting of CIA, ATIC, and our representatives held at ATIC on December 12th, 1952. At the December 12th meeting, our representatives strongly recommended that a scientific panel not be set up until the results of our analysis of the sighting reports con- collected by the ATIC were available. Since the meeting of the panel is now definitely scheduled, we feel that agreement between Project Stork a mysterious thing, and the ATIC should be reached as to what can and what cannot be discussed at the meeting in Washington mm. on January 14th and 16th concerning our preliminary recommendations to ATIC. So that's interesting. Experience so, to date on yeah. our study... Yeah, like, like uh, experience to date on our study of unidentified flying objects shows that there is a distinct lack of reliable data with which to work. Even the best documented reports are frequently lacking in critical information that makes it impossible to arrive at a possible identification, i.e., even in a well-documented report, there is always an element of doubt about the data, either because the observer had no means of getting the required data or was not prepared to utilize the means at his disposal. Therefore, we recommend that a controlled experiment be set up by which reliable physical data can be obtained. A tentative preliminary plan by which the experiment could be designed and carried out is discussed in the following paragraphs. 
Based on our experience so far, it is expected that certain conclusions will be reached as a result of our analysis, which will make obvious the need for an effort to obtain reliable data from competent observers using the there's like an unreadable part, necessary equipment. Until mm -hmm. more reliable data are available, no positive answers to the problem will be possible. We expect that our analysis will show that certain areas in the United States have had an abnormally high number of reported incidents of unidentified flying objects. Mm -hmm. Assuming that from our analysis, several definite areas productive of reports can be selected, we recommend that one or two of these areas be set up as experimental areas. This area mm -hmm. or areas should have observation posts with complete visual skywatch, with radar and photographic coverage, plus all other instruments necessary or helpful in obtaining positive and reliable data on everything in the air over the area. A very complete record of the weather should also be kept during the time of the experiment. Coverage should be so complete that any object in the air, etc., could be recorded. All balloon releases or known balloon paths, aircraft flights, and flights of rockets in the test area should be known to those in charge of the experiment. This is a key sentence. Many different types of aerial activity should be secretly and purposefully scheduled within the area. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, so basically, like, planning to put, like, you know, as part like of this, like, control. Like a control group, if you will. Yeah, they wanted bit. to do, yeah, now who knows what the different types of aerial activity were. Yeah. Uh, we recognize this proposed experiment would amount to a large-scale military maneuver or operation and that it would require extensive preparation and fine coordination plus maximum security. Although it would be a major operation and expensive, there are many extra benefits to be arrived besides the data on identified aerial objects. The question of just what would be accomplished by the proposed experiment occurs. Just how could the problem of these unidentified objects be solved? From this test area, during the time of the experiment, it can be assumed that there would be a steady flow of reports from ordinary civilian observers, in addition to those by military or other official observers. It should be possible by such a controlled experiment to prove the identity of all objects reported or to determine posit positively that there were objects present of unknown identity. Any hoaxes under a setup should, uh, such as this could almost certainly be exposed, perhaps not publicly, but at least to the military. In addition, by having resulting data from the controlled experiments, reports for the last five years could be reevaluated in light of similar but positive information. This should make possible reasonably certain conclusions concerning the importance of the problem of flying saucers, uh, wow. quote-unquote flying saucers. Results of an experiment such as described could assist the Air Force to determine how much attention to pay to, a future, to future situations when, as in the past summer, there were thousands of sightings reported. In the future, then, the Air Force should be able to make positive statements, reassuring to the public to the effect that everything is well under control. Wow. Very true. So, yours is Yeah. So, so, I mean, that and that's refer is that referring to what was shown in the documentary where there is uh, repeated, like, airspace violations in Washington, D.C., I think in 1952 yeah, like, or 53? Yeah, there's, like, UFOs interfering with nuclear weapons. There was an idea. Yeah. So, like, you know, we assume this document is real. Like, I think, like, you know, it has passed muster with the same people who, like, you know, the famous Majestic 12 documents, like, which are now yeah. considered to be fake. Like, uh -huh. uh, you know, uh, by the same evaluation, it's been determined. And, like, the original identity of this person was concealed and then did come to light. And this guy was a real person who, like, it's very interesting to me that, like, he was a metallurgist and then suddenly, like, you know, was really big, like, a big UFO figure. Like, it's so busy, yeah. like, you know, was writing, like, from this sort of secret program. It's, you know, uh, yeah, and... It, it definitely leaves open the door as well for a kind of, like, uh... Mm, 
well, various yeah. kind of psyop development. Exactly. Of... It seems like they were playing the psyop people, but also the psyop was part of a plan to kind of like see about what was really going on and then like control it, <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> uh, or at least control the narrative around it. Um, yeah, and and I guess maybe you could leave the door open for a kind of um, the, the the scientific experimental aspect of seeing like I, I guess what he's saying kind of out front there is that by doing this we're going to be able to collect all kinds of sensory data yeah, that, that we can then compare to yeah, he, past yes. and future sightings to like suss out whether or not this is kind of a terrestrial object something that we could create or but then of course yeah it kind of leaves the the door open a little bit to like oh mimic for sure UFOs. basically yeah basically he was saying like the control experiment is going to be like when we light off all these aircraft like in this area where we have total like aerial monitoring and control like mm-hmm. probably like a bunch of like these fools are gonna say like oh my god a ufo and mm-hmm. then if there are no like you know if then we'll know everything in the air and if none of them are real UFOs that we don't know about, then, like, that will prove that this, these UFO waves are something to be concerned about. And if not, then no. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, like, kind of what he's saying out front. But, of course, that also involves implicitly, like, psyoping everybody. And, yeah, like, being yeah. able to then, like, induce UFO waves. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and, which and is basically the entire, like, I, goal of the experiment. Yeah, and I would love to know, like, if there were any famous uh, sightings of UFOs that were, like, one of these experiments. And then if it was, then we certainly never found out about it. You know, they didn't announce, like, hey, guys, yeah. we were just doing an experiment. Uh, those weren't real. Well, that's um, kind of their story about Roswell now, that, like, you know, it was some kind of, like, secret weather balloon that they to were, To sense like, uh, Soviet yeah. nuclear tests or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah and, which... and the phenomenon, they did say that, like, that dude, that famous, uh, you know, a uh, picture of that dude posing with like the debris you know which doesn't look very impressive when you see it was he was like told to pose with some like janky like balloon foil and like the actual meta materials i guess now are in i don't know the possession of uh of tom DeLong. i don't know but uh yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they weren't actually but yeah that was uh, what they went with in that documentary anyway for sure yeah. I think uh, I think we should talk about Christopher Mellon a little bit because yeah. he Definitely. figures very prominently in this story, um, 
and is somebody that you know not only has he does seem to have some kind of you know legit like pentagon government credentials but is also obviously uh was born into the immensely powerful and wealthy Mellon family from Pittsburgh. Yes. Right. And, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, one which, of the many, like, you know, super rich figures, uh, that the phenomenon kind of painted heroically, just like, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of, and maybe we can yeah. like, touch on him a little bit shortly because he's somebody that has been like a huge booster of like new agey ufology kind of phenomena and has been like a big booster and honestly the Mellon family as well through uh Chris Mellon's relative uh Billy Mellon Hitchcock who uh owned uh, I believe yeah he and his sister Peggy Hitchcock um and uh they basically you know had this Millbrook estate in upstate New York uh that they basically gave to Timothy Leary in cool. 1963, um, and helped him found uh, his and Richard Alpert slash Ram Dass's International Federation for Internal Freedom, or cool. if if, um, <laughs> and uh, they basically let like Timothy Leary like have the run of the place for like several years, and you know he had like Alan Watts and R. D. Lang and Alan Ginsberg, and all these other people that Ken Casey and the Merry Pranksters. It was almost like whatever was going on with like M. K. L. S. D. Research in Palo Alto this is like MK East and mm. it was done by the direct sponsoring of the very overall like right wing Mellon family who for some reason developed this this hippy dippy interest in psychedelics and like expanded consciousness yeah. and UFO and so I remember <laughs> a couple years ago when the two the stars thing started like rolling out and getting like written about in the New York Times like seeing this name Christopher Mellon pop up and thinking like hold up like wait a minute there's a Mellon involved and then I look at this guy's resume and basically he he is the former deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence in the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations and later for security and information operations and uh, was also uh, formerly the staff director on the United States Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. And uh, when he was when he did work on the Capitol Hill, I'm oh, sorry, when he did work on Capitol Hill. Um, he, the person he was working for was none other than Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Senator John D. Rockefeller IV. Nice. So, you know, just keeping these families. and conservationists. Yeah. Great. <laughs> the Rockefeller-Mellon yeah. Mellon Alliance. Thank God. Yes, the um, Rockefeller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and, guess they uh, were in deep with a lot. I mean, we have Carnegie Mellon, you know. They have, yeah, uh, Carnegie they Mellon, were, huge, uh, huge science, huge yeah. STEM uh, place. And... Um, obviously, yeah, they started with the Mellon Bank and then I think became the controllers of Gulf Oil um, and then, cool. you know, moved into all kinds of other things. And they're still, um, <clears throat> yeah, they're still uh, big today. I mean, I think the other character of this generation of Mellons, um, who I think maybe uh, you would not be super surprised to see where he popped up. I'm trying to find um, the Mellon who died several years ago um, under very Matthew Mellon. That's right. And uh, if you look it up, yeah, Matthew Mellon, who died in 2018, um, was uh, actually became a billionaire investing in Bitcoin. And um, 
But he had a very troubled life. He had very big, like, Hunter Biden vibes with uh, <laughs> Matthew Mellon. He was a little bit of a – except his – rather than crack cocaine, I think his uh, his drug of choice is, like, Oxycontin and opiates. And, um, you know, had a lot of business ventures that basically, like, you know, didn't work out. Uh, apparently he was spending at one point $100,000 a month on Oxycontin. Um, and uh, – basically uh was dating uh the daughter of robert f kennedy jr kick kennedy uh Mm -hmm. for a while also kind of like a weird kind of hunter biden kind of vibe um and uh then died in cancun mexico where he had traveled to to check into something called the clear sky recovery clinic which was an ibogaine uh clinic uh with you know ibogaine is another psychedelic drug kind of like mescaline and they're these like clinics for rich people to go down to Mexico and, like, take Ibogaine to kick their, you know, opiate um, addictions. And interesting, he was reported to have died in a hotel room in Cancun before arrival at the clinic, suffering a fatal heart attack after taking ayahuasca. So, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. um, And, uh, yeah. Oh, he was the founder of Jimmy Choo also. So that was kind of a weird thing. That's very weird. Um, Yeah. yeah. And then his, uh, oh, he invested in Ripple, actually. He made a billion dollars investing in the Ripple cryptocurrency. But but actually, uh, and this is around the time that, like, it was after Bitcoin, like, mooned in, like, 2017 and 2018 that made him kind of a legitimate billionaire off of that. Um, And I believe his uh, private keys to his Ripple fortune went missing after he died. Hmm. So, uh, you know, um, strange things in the world of, you know, it's got a little bit kind of a Brock Pierce meets Hunter Biden vibe and then dies after taking ayahuasca, which, I mean, given this guy that was, like, doing opiates all the time, it seems like, I don't don't know, I think it's relatively rare that you would have a heart attack on ayahuasca, though ayahuasca, I think its dangers are often downplayed in the Mm -hmm. new agey kind of psychedelic community. Yeah. Um, Maybe you saw something that really freaked him out. Maybe you saw some machine elves. My God, maybe he took too much of a I think I dose. saw Tom DeLonge saying, or DeLonge, sorry, I'm going to continue doing that, uh, saying something to the effect of, like, when people take psychedelic drugs, they also do the same thing. Like, why? You know, like... Uh, <laughs> that doesn't surprise of, me. That doesn't yeah. surprise me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I actually don't know Tom DeLonge's, like, overall stance on psychedelics and whether or not they're, like, a gateway to interact with ETs. Um, um, but that's definitely yeah. I don't know. I did see, like, you know, in certain, you know, Googling around, I uh, came upon, like, a a couple articles, like, that I guess mentioned him because he's, like, you know, a a notable celebrity who's super into UFOs. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yet, I guess there, you know, whenever some other celebrity would be into UFOs, he would come up. And uh, I did see a story about like Miley Cyrus like seeing a UFO. And, oh yeah, and, like, I do. I was just looking through waving. that this morning. Like all yeah. like Post Malone saw a UFO. Yeah. Uh, Demi, Demi Lovato. Lovato went out to Joshua Tree and looked up at the sky and was like, "We must like you know." That's another thing that's like arguably sus. In addition to the phenomenon, like you know, uh, loving and like worshiping the Pentagon, the defense industry, like the community and like the intelligence community, and also like you know. Uh, just generally, like, you know, worshipping billionaires and uh, calling uh, mm-hmm. Lawrence Rockefeller the great philanthropist, um, uh-huh. first and foremost. Uh, they also, like, really, at the end, they talked about, like, the Errol uh, UFO encounter in uh, Zimbabwe. Yes. Um, 
like uh yeah i think that's uh what it was called uh what the uh it was all the school children so yeah yeah yeah. um yeah yeah, and they were like you know the main message that they got was um like you know it was very like uh greta uh thunberg you know it was very much like there will be no more trees you know they were like uh it was funny because they were like rhodesian like children you know yeah yeah they were (laughs) yeah and they're like that like we saw a message that there would be that aliens told us like there would be no more trees like they're you know we're hurting the planet or what it was very much like you know uh sort of like the children are telling you you know it was that yeah, like yeah. kind of thing um, it's a very common trope with ufos i yeah. mean you initially it was it had to do with nuclear weapons yeah that was course, a big thing yeah that they're here and now it's more about that we need to stop yeah exactly you're doing climate um, change but it's funny i don't know like maybe it's interesting these aliens are never like you need to stop capitalism uh, <laughs> like, yeah, no alien ever no alien has ever advocated i wonder like, if no alien has ever said that i wonder if like no alien ever appeared to the soviets who was like capitalism is bad uh or if we're gonna have to look into we're gonna have to look into that because it almost you could almost get the impression that given all these uh theories about how like the soviets and the the americans are actually secretly working together to like do this it's almost like it seems like at some point like the aliens told the soviets like stand down well i mean if there was (laughs) truly like you know if there was like unlimited energy like power source or whatever like that would allow these like things to uh fly without propellers or whatever and like do these amazing feats you know maybe we would have like a perpetual john galt energy machine and we wouldn't need capitalism uh although i guess john galt did believe, whatever but anyway like uh but you know it does make you, you wonder give it away in a contract to the to the army uh then yes you... it, it does make you wonder like what is up if these aliens because you know this gets thrown around a lot that they want to upstep us or they want to help us like you know stop fighting with each other and everything if they're so advanced why do they not understand that like if they really want us to stop unless there's come some kind of weird prime directive thing where like they can't do it but you know the prime directive forbids them to criticize capitalism yeah Uh, exactly we have to learn we have to discover it Um, ourselves um well maybe they don't have i mean yeah i guess it's an interesting ideological thing because on one hand like you know do the aliens have a theory of capitalism per se like i feel like there's I mean, there's an objective... Well, there's maybe a different level of objectivity. I mean, you could uh, question it. Certainly, like, one could point to capitalism as the root problem, but maybe they simply don't have that analysis. Uh, I don't know. Like, well, it depends on, like, what of what nature do we think, like, these aliens are. I feel like, I mean, I'm a little bit partial. I mean, Jack Vallee is someone who's sus, and John Keel, like, there's certain some susness to him as well, but they were mostly of like, the opinion that the aliens or, like, the ultra-terrestrials or whatever were, like, largely nefarious in some way, so, uh... It you, you would, Jacques Vallée felt that they were somewhat nefarious? Yeah, that they were largely nefarious or being, uh, being deceptive. Like, uh, he wrote, uh, in, again, in Passport to Magonia... Actually, it's funny, because the PDF copy that I have is a very funny note on this part. Um, he, uh, you know, he's talking about this interesting uh situation where uh i'll just read the account because you know these ufo cases are are interesting so anyway the following italian case took place in abiate guazone near varis on april 24th 1950 
At 10 p.m., Bruno Faccini heard and saw sparks, which he attributed to a storm, but he soon discovered a dark mass hovering between a pole and a tree 200 yards from his house. A man dressed in tight-fitting clothes and wearing a helmet appeared to be making repairs. There were three other figures working around the huge craft. This work being over, a trap through which light had been shining was closed, and the thing took off. Other details were as follows. The object made a sound similar to that of a giant beehive, and the air seemed strangely warm around it. Two of the men were standing on the ground near a ladder. The third one was on a telescopic elevator, the base of which touched the ground, and was holding something near a group of pipes. This produced a spark seen by Faccini. They were about five uh, feet nine inches tall, dressed in gray diving suits with an oval transparent glass in front of their faces, which were concealed behind gray masks. From the fore portion of the mask, a flexible pipe emerged at the level of the mouth. They wore earphones. Inside the craft could be seen a series of oxygen-type containers and many dials. When Faccini offered his help, the men talked amongst themselves in guttural sounds, and one of them took a camera-like device from around his neck and projected a beam of light on Faccini, who tumbled away for several yards. He was then caught by a rush of air and thrown against the ground. They subsequently ignored him as they recovered the elevator and brought it inside the craft, which took off. After a sleepless night, Pacini returned to the site and found some metal fragments left by the soldering operation, also four circular imprints and patches of scorched grass. He revealed the observation only ten days later when his doctor treated him for the pains and bruises resulting from his fall and advised him to call the police. The Ministry of Defense technicians who examined the metal samples found them to consist of an anti-friction material very resistant to heat. The incident had other witnesses who testified privately. Had Mr. Faccini been exposed deliberately to a fake apparition of space beings? What could be the purpose of such, worldwide, uh, such a worldwide elaborate hoax? Who can afford to contrive such a complex scheme for so little apparent result? Is human imagination alone capable of playing such tricks on itself? Or should we hypothesize that an advanced race somewhere in the universe or some time in the future has been showing us three-dimensional space operas for the last 2,000 years in an attempt to guide our civilization? If so, they certainly do not deserve our congratulations. <laughs> are we dealing instead with a parallel universe where there are human races living and where they may go at our expense never to return to the present? Are these races only semi-human, blah, 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 you know, so... Uh, yeah. So Valley, I mean, I think um, it, it's interesting, uh, and it, it, it kind of syncs up with uh, some of the stuff I've seen on his uh, his Wikipedia article here, where he, you know, he started out trying to validate the extraterrestrial hypothesis or mm-hmm. ETH, as they called it. Uh, but by 1969, his conclusions began to change, and he publicly stated that the ETH was too narrow and ignored too much data. He started exploring the commonalities between UFOs, cults, religious movements, demons, angels, ghosts, cryptid sightings, and psychic phenomena. And uh, that's when he wrote Passport to Magonia, From Folklore to Flying Saucers. So he started to gravitate towards uh, basically a multidimensional visitation hypothesis. And yeah. this hypothesis represents an extension of the ETH where the alleged extraterrestrials could be potentially from anywhere. The entities could be multidimensional beyond space-time. Thus, they could coexist with humans yet remain undetected. Um, and I guess he got he got a lot of crap from ufologists back then for saying this. Um, yeah, guess, but that to me <clears> is more... Ten- like, you know, his... That type of theory, which Keel also kind of advanced, that to me is more tenable than 
like the sort of conventional like you know especially since like you know if you do look back at these old cases i think that you could say there's something to the phenomenon like i don't think that like all these people oh, are yeah. just like yokels who lied but the fact is that they reported that like these aliens came from mars from venus you know like yes. that they would do these wacky things that they were flying you know like the airship story you know so what you know the nature of this has more to do with the mind you know uh than it's you know it's not like just purely like they're the draco and they come down or whatever you know like it's uh yes it's, exactly there's something subtle going on you know i do think uh, it's more tenable his and uh i guess he made he wrote down like five specific arguments um that kind of contradict the extraterrestrial hypothesis and those five are that one, unexplained close encounters are far more numerous than required for any physical survey of the Earth. Two, the humanoid body structure of the alleged aliens is not likely to have originated on another planet and is not biologically adapted to space travel. Three, yeah. the reported behavior in thousands of abduction reports contradicts the hypothesis of genetic or scientific experimentation on humans by an advanced race. Four, the extension of the phenomenon throughout recorded human history demonstrates that UFOs are not a contemporary phenomenon. And five, the apparent ability of UFOs to manipulate space and time suggests radically different and richer alternatives. So, you know, I think... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot to note the funny little... I uh, read the funny little marginalia next to that paragraph that I read about, uh, you know, whether this advanced race is showing us these three-dimensional space operas. Uh, he says... Uh, the the writer you know whoever scanned this uh, you know PDF uh, you know uh, of the book uh, writes in the margins quite simply to draw one's attention away from the fact in all caps that they are quite literally fallen angels slash demons um, which is you know a very popular idea but you know I am more partial to that than like the extraterrestrial hypothesis in fact no, I mean I in a way the yeah. idea that these are jinn. Yeah, I think that they are gin, more, basically. More viable yeah, they're gin, than... I think. I think the greys are gin, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, Toy's probably gin as well, you know. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the most plausible. Um, you or know, George H.W. Bush has a kind of hologram machine that can yeah. transform him into looking like a reptoid. But Both are po- possible, um, yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was interesting that Valet um, contributed to the investigation of the miracle at Fatima and the Marian apparitions and kind of hypothesized that they might have been UFO sightings as opposed to, which kind of cuts in the other direction. <laughs> that, yeah. You know, religious things throughout history are like, you know, people in well, flying yeah, saucers Well, like, but down. they're in some way like the same, like they have like commonalities, like phenomenologically. Like, I think that that is sort of true. Like that, you know, yeah, like these uh, sort of experiences of like that might be described as like angelic encounters or like, you know, but that's the thing. Like, uh, like there's always like deception involved. Like this is something that like is baked into like these religious traditions where, Satan will often take like all sorts of forms, including the famously like the form of an angel of light, you know. So uh, Lucifer. Like, yeah. So like the idea, like you know, if someone's like, oh, you know, seeing these aliens, they're like, we come in peace, like we will tell you the star map, like we must stop doing, you know, saying certain mm-hmm. things that are true, you know, mm-hmm. and, telling like, you what you, you want to hear. But yeah, then exactly. not telling you uh, things you don't want to hear, like, you know, uh, stop doing capitalism. It's evil. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, we just need to do more capitalism, uh, and that's how, 
you know? Yeah, maybe that's why Tom DeLonge is so confident, because, like, some kind of E.T. came to him and was like, all you gotta do is, like, team up with, like, you know, the defense, uh, a bunch of defense <laughs> contractors. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, essentially, I, I read another uh, New Republic article um, that was about uh, Louis Elizondo, who, who we mentioned earlier, um, and uh, it says, uh, Elizondo left the Pentagon in October 2017, he said, over the military secrecy and inertia. During his tenure, one senior defense agency official in particular expressed discomfort with investigation of UFOs because the official, a staunch Christian, felt the evidence suggested UFOs were demonic. Um, Yes, crazy as it may sound, Elizondo's story certainly gave the DIA executives conclusions a whiff of plausibility. Um, mm. Yeah, you know. But anyway, yeah, so apparently that, that idea is represented uh, somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did also notice, just to, to circle back real quick to what we were saying a minute ago about, you know, like, why are these, uh, what was the political persuasion of these UFOs? I actually found yeah. on CA.gov there is a declassified article um, by J. Allen Hynek, who is the ufologist who is, I think, Jack Valley's mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is called the UFO gap, and it is about w- wondering what the Soviets know about UFOs. And it says, uh, America's leading ufologist, just back from an international astronomers conference behind the Iron Curtain, warns that a new Soviet investigative approach could cost us the race to solve the flying saucer riddle. And uh, he quotes, Russian solve UFO mystery in a headline. For years, I've opened the New York Times with the fear skittering around the back of my mind that I might find that quote. In my occasional dreams, the story under the headline explains that the Russians have found some previously unthought of, unstartling explanation for unidentified flying objects, or worse, that they have made first contact with an alien civilization conducting reconnaissance missions to our planet. Either story would shake America so hard that the launching of Sputnik in 1957 would appear in retrospect as important as a Russian announcement of a particularly large wheat crop. The possibility of a Russian breakthrough on the UFO problem is unlikely if we believe official Russian statements that the problem does not exist. At, at last August's uh, 13th General Assembly of the International Astrom- Astronomical Union in Prague, one of the Russian delegates answered my query about Soviet UFO study with a derisive laugh and the rather absurd comment, if flying saucers really exist, why aren't they buzzing over Prague right now? The same man, a senior Soviet astronomer, declined to attend a meeting I had organized to discuss the UFO problem, saying that since the UFOs did not exist, there was nothing to discuss. One of his colleagues slipped and said that Russian scientists were not permitted to discuss unidentified flying objects. Although we have reports of UFO sightings and phenomena from some 70 countries, the Soviet Union and other socialist countries have not contributed UFO reports. Judging by past Soviet behavior, this curious silence on a subject of increasing importance to science and government means only one thing, and indeed, there are some clues to actual Soviet study of the problem. A Russian astronomer admitted in Prague to an American scientist that he believed a problem existed. Another American scientist recently received a note from the secretary of an official Soviet organization for the study of UFOs, and the Russians announced at Prague they would participate in a future international conference on interstellar uh, communication. And uh, basically, there there are publications within the Soviet Union uh, that are basically saying there is a such thing, um, and you know, calling for a careful, uh, many-sided scientific investigation. And uh, yeah. yeah, it basically goes on. So you know, it says I think what we knew is that the the, the Soviets did 
investigate this stuff. Um, Definitely they did. No. Uh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure that other countries also had, like, some uh, interest in, in the subjects. Like, uh, I mean, insofar as, like, the U.S. did, and, uh, like, their interest in it was sort of publicized. I think that they, like, in the same way that... It's actually interesting, like, uh, in uh, the same New Republic article I just mentioned, where the demonic... Uh, possible origins of the ufos was was expressed by that uh one uh dia official um it writes uh elizondo the son of a cuban exile of course who worked with the cia <laughs> who'd worked with the cia on the bay of pigs invasion, oh my god okay enlisted in army <laughs> counterintelligence during the early 1990s he showed me a picture of himself as a young soldier wearing army greens and an old garrison cap Elizondo flirted with becoming a psychic spy, but that program was shut down, so he became a regular spy. After working in Afghanistan and Cuba, he was tapped to run counterintelligence for the Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. You know, again, it was allegedly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, so, uh, but another uh, sort of uh, funny uh, thing that they mentioned is that uh, this is about, again, someone who I think that you brought up is a Hal Putoff, who yeah. founded uh, To the Stars, um, is, uh, and <coughs> Russell Targ. Uh, yeah. It also talks but about that. Both SR, big uh, SRI guys. Yeah. Russell Targ is a pioneering physicist whose early career advanced humanity's understanding of lasers, but he's best known for the decade he spent studying extrasensory perception, or ESP, and psychic abilities with Stanford-trained electrical engineer Harold Hal Putoff, who co-founded the stars with Tom DeLonge, and now sits in the group's executive board. So there's, like, a link between, like, the same way that the U.S. was interested in psychic phenomenon. Uh, they were interested in, that, like, uh, living consciousness, you see, can be separated spatially by thousands of miles, but may have no psychic distance between them. Hmm. And the most remarkable thing we were able to do was to get the CIA to let us study that for 20 years, Targ said in a 2015 lecture about his and Putoff's research into remote viewing. Much of their work performed at Stanford Research Institute, the same place that made Siri on your iPhone, Focus on the psychic <laughs> abilities of mentalists like spoon-bending Yuri Geller. Um, you know, Geller was shown on multiple occasions to be a fraud, yet somehow managed to secure steady streams of funding from oil and mining companies to act as a psychic mm. dowsing rod. Again, the metallurgy That's connection. That's right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is funny. Nevertheless, put off and targets research into psychic abilities as was well-funded in no small part because of a former Nazi rocket scientist. Uh, mm. I got the program started by showing Werner von Braun oh. a mechanical <laughs> ESP teaching machine at a conference on speculative technology, Targ said. After World War II ended an Operation Paperclip began, Von Braun and several hundred of his Teutonic brothers gave up all their Nazi beliefs and shifted seamlessly into the simple existence of American rocket scientists living in Alabama. Von Braun, who reportedly had a clairvoyant grandmother as well as a cozy relationship with the U.S. intelligence community, mm -hmm. was prodigiously successful with my ESP game, Tark explained. He took me to meet the administrator of NASA, and that was the first money we got to start the program. So, wow. Dope. So, uh, and you know, von Braun, who died in 1977, um, he founded a lot of like nonprofits in Silicon Valley, including I think like the L5 Society, which is about mm -hmm. like uh, colonizing the moon. <clears throat> and he um, he drew up a lot of I think uh, prototypes for like you know orbital space stations and things like that, and was mm -hmm. I mean just yeah couldn't literally you know was in charge of building. Uh, the American rocket program. So, uh, and yeah, was definitely, um, an SS officer and, yeah. uh, his brother, I think it was Magnus von Braun, uh, was, uh, was like one of the top executives of Chrysler. So like all the von Braun brothers, um, 
yeah, he was a senior executive at Chrysler, who was a Luftwaffe aviator. And, um, you know, they made sure to surrender to, like, Alan Dulles and that whole crew. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, and also Sigismund von Braun, who was the um, Secretary of State of West Germany in the 1970s. So, I mean, he came from a very high Prussian background. Um, actually, a descendant of Philip III of France, Valdemar I of Denmark, Robert III of Scotland, and Edward III of England. So... I mean, talk about bloodlines, mm. y'all. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, the, okay, so they, I did not realize that the, they tested out the ESP devices on Werner von Braun. And <laughs> uh, he did well at it, apparently. Uh, wow. Well, wow. he definitely, uh, you know, knew how to... Uh, you know, plan for the future. Well, um, okay, uh, that's actually, that that's got a good pivot point here because I think, you know, something that gets bandied about a lot, but I feel like even Tom DeLong, even when he mentions it, he doesn't, like, put it in its proper context. Like, for example, I listened to a little bit of his uh, interview a few years ago with a with Joe Rogan, which was, like, a lot of kind of off-the-rails stuff, but he mentions that his personal belief is that the craft that crashed at Roswell was not actually an ET craft, but was a Nazi German aircraft that was constructed in Argentina and -hmm. was flown. And so we get to the point where I think if there's any version of a kind of, um, you know, UFOs are real, but they're man-made, um... You know, I would find personally the most compelling hypothesis would perhaps be that these were experimental Nazi aircraft that were brought over to the U.S. and shared perhaps in a very secret way with the U.S. government. And it it's hard to trace further than that. But, I mean, you have... I don't I know. You have things yeah. like Deglaca, which is a, a, a sort of yeah mm-hmm. alleged uh, device that Aquino had his big interest in uh, mm-hmm. that would you know help the Nazis to peacefully end World War II. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think some UFOs must like you know like inherently be man-made. Like uh, yeah. some, not all unidentified flying objects are like you know whatever. There is, I do think that there is some kind of weird phenomenon going on uh that you know is beyond that but probably Mm -hmm. like the vast majority of them and some of them certainly like are like uh advanced like classified aircraft like i'm sure like you know if you look at a stealth bomber like i'm sure that like people saw that before like it was a known thing yeah that you know is very much like a ufo in appearance to me totally um, totally even though i guess the, the the big thing about the ufos time and again seem to be that it's like it's 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 aerodynamics seem to defy like you know everything we know about physics and yeah, or the, yeah exactly well the way they fly i mean not like i mean i uh, one thing that like uh bothers me sometimes when people say that like ufos aren't aerodynamic because like well in in so far as ufos are flying saucers obviously some ufos Mm -hmm. are like cigar shaped which doesn't make any sense or whatever but uh you know they don't they would yeah tic tacs that does seem weird does seem like they have some weird propulsion but the whole thing of a flying saucer i mean that kind of makes sense like this is basically a frisbee you know like uh that that is aerodynamic what is, I mean, I think uh, in the uh, unidentified show on History Channel, they uh, named the five observables, which were not a feature of my uh, UFO encounter, but uh, they, they were, like, uh, things that they, uh, you know, classified as being the sort of, uh, 
like most uh, you know prominent or most important aspects of, of these uh, UFO uh, encounters that you know especially the ones that the, the military and the Navy were having uh, the ones that were kind of highlighted in the thing so they say that these have anti-gravity lift um, they can overcome Earth's gravity with no visible means of propulsion sudden instantaneous acceleration so like when they'll be hovering and then suddenly they'll go like vloop like out of nowhere you know uh, and just disappear hypersonic velocities without signatures um, mm-hmm. No vapor trails or sonic booms. Low observability or cloaking, you know, where they disappear. Um, mm-hmm. And transmedium travel. So, you know, they might become, they might go into the ocean, they might be in the sky, they might fly up into space, you know. So, mm-hmm. those are the, the five big things I have. Uh, my UFO encounter did not have any of those features. Uh, but, um, yeah, so those are like the big things that they'll point to. Uh, and those are mysterious things uh you know the i guess like the when the navy pilots describe their encounters again it could just all be like a limited hangout like a psyop like they could be like fabricated events but i don't know yeah it is it is weird how like the you know these kind of experiences have tracked with the transformations in our own imagination of how these things might function you know even the flying saucers have more and more disappeared and, like, now we have this idea of, like, this tic-tac, this sort of sleek white object, like, all white, you know? Like, uh-huh. it kind of reminds me of, like, the case that your eye, your iPods or your, your earpods or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like AirPods yeah, that, very yeah. Very like seamless. In, you know, it's, like, very much, like, yeah, and, you know, even in the Unidentified documentary, it's funny, because if you go back to those airship cases that Valet mentioned, a lot of the people would be, like, actually, I think Thomas Edison had to, like, make a statement where he was like, no, I did not create an airship. I have not been flying an airship around, you know, because everyone was saying, like, oh, it's Thomas Edison. In the documentary, they are like, maybe Elon Musk, you know, made this or whatever, you know. So uh, it's the same yeah. sort of thing where there's a secret inventor who's kind of suspected, um, you know, of doing this. And, like, they kind of track with the imagination of how these, these things might be. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, they are, like, the, the cases themselves, like, have a certain persuasiveness to them. Uh, but their nature is, uh, yeah, uh, uh, unclear. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, those do far outstrip what we know of being like, yeah, those, those would outstrip the capabilities of a stealth bomber. And I definitely do remember like, you know, people saying that kind of stuff about UFOs and that's how they're depicted as like moving, you know, zigzagging, uh, hovering, like, you know, and then like Uh flying with incredible velocity, like even going way back to like, you know, the seventies and stuff. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Um, so it is weird. Yeah, yeah, but. it's weird, and it it does seem um, uh, there there does seem to be something <clears throat> in terms of like you know physics uh, going on where these things are doing things. I mean, it it does bring to question bring the question like why wouldn't any uh, kind of above ground physicists or engineers be able to come up with something even remotely that operates in the same way as these phenomena. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the idea is that they're not really, uh, you know, they're not real. There's something else like, um, but yeah, I mean, they, I mean, yeah. I guess if you take kind of the gin hypothesis, then it's like, they really could just be just about anything. <laughs> and, yeah. They uh, could take any form. They're an apparition basically. Yeah, well, people see, like, truly bizarre stuff, like, you know, and have uh, attested to, like, seeing very strange things, even to this day, you know, that don't, like, fit into the idea that... And I think Jacques Vallée's point is a good one, that 
you know, if something was really developing on a different planet, like, just going by, like, the evolutionary idea, like, surely there must be something more than just, like, this kind of, like, scientific view on it because the aliens just look simply, you know, a lot of times looked way yeah. too similar to human beings. Like, exactly. So, Sometimes yeah, they the, literally look like human beings. Like your they're... stock UFO hypothesis, your stock, you know, ET hypothesis is definitely out. You know, we could say that it's, like, all a psyop. You could say that there's gin. But I definitely, you know, my friend and I have had an ongoing debate about whether greys are animals or gin. I strongly uh, take the gin position on the greys. Uh, well, just, so. just to be fair, I mean, I think the maybe one of the normative things, normative uh, explanations among ufologists uh, oh, yeah, this in this world good, yeah. was kind of that they were like kind of like remote controlled puppets, like they were avatars. Yeah. I actually um, heard that they were like human fetuses that were oh, like that grown, too. like bio dro- drones or whatever that were like grown in these deep underground military bases and like you know. Uh, There's so been all kinds of variations of that, including Annie Jacobson. They were basically wet computers, you know. They yeah, were like wet CPUs. Bi- bi- biological computers that were yeah. programmed to just do experiments or well, whatever. Th- that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, that the aliens like there's some kind of um, you know, I don't know, almost like spectral intelligence, or they exist in a form very different than ours, and they use these like meat puppet bodies to kind of like that they can like telepathically control to go around and like explore the universe which i don't know it's like kind of like like if you're a non-corporeal being do you need a spaceship at that point you know it kind of just seems yeah, a little well, bit certainly if they're non-corporeal beings i mean i guess it would make some sense if they were like and but why would you build like a bipedal humanoid android you know that doesn't make any sense to me like, why not you, build why not just build a, a why not why not just build like a human form so you could like walk yeah, around exactly. and like Blend go undercover perfectly. yeah yeah it well, does seem know, to be yeah. – it, it doesn't quite add up. But um, the other thing is that, like, Annie Jacobson, who is kind of like, I would say, kind of the normie gatekeeper of a lot of, like, Area 51 and, like, UFO stuff. She also, interestingly, and I think probably relatedly, wrote, like, the book on Operation Paperclip. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those things tie together. But she had – I remember her going on, like, John Stewart back in the day. And advancing this theory, which people, um, I don't know, I don't think the UFO community was convinced, but like normies were kind of like satisfied by it, that basically um, the Roswell crash like was actually an experimental aircraft, but it was from the Soviet Union and the pilots were like... um, like little was people this the woman who or like went dwarves. On, like, is this the woman who went on the Daily Show and was like, "Yeah, I'll tell you what Roswell was all yes, about." Yes, that is yeah, her. That this. is her. I this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and she she came up more recently with like another book where she's um I mean she's like a more refined like professional version of Tom DeLonge. I feel like at the end of the day, she, well, she's like, like you know an academic. Uh, yeah. You know, so so, so like, she, I'm, a, I'm a historian. I'll tell you like you know what I yeah. Uh, I definitely feel like she gets paid. Out, uh, she gets paid you know? the big bucks to do like a, a culture uh, the kind of limited hangout you could print in the new yorker and make yeah, everybody exactly. scratch their yeah. chin with satisfaction mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Wow. and so she said that there were like 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 dwarves or something or like mentally um you know uh like mentally retarded children from the soviet union that had been like trained as pilots in these little tiny ufo pods and they were specifically the, she said that they weren't actually like operating aircraft but they were like 
taken there kind of like they were gliders basically and like mm-hmm. a covert like Soviet airplane had like released them over New Mexico and had them crash to like psyop the Americans into thinking that there were like alien UFOs scouting around and this is like all like Stalin's idea <laughs> <laughs> interesting plan uh, okay which like is it's pretty weird to think, think of how that, far like, out that idea US is airspace would be able to be infiltrated so easily by a Soviet plane that would then deploy this like ufo glider um and like yeah that does not seem plausible to me especially like the idea like why would there need to be like little dwarves in it like why not just use like dummies you know like uh i guess they wanted to make them think that these were aliens how would they make that mistake though yeah, because like, they would you know, do an like, autopsy. Are they so stupid? Yeah, that they're going to be like, oh, like, you know. Uh, it sounds way more likely that something the U.S. government would, like, unless, do like, to Stalin, itself. Unless Stalin thought, the, like, you know, that the capitalists were just, like, so stupid that they would, uh, like, think that a bunch of dwarves and, like, a glider were actually aliens. Like, uh, And I don't know, just know, from everything I, I know about Stalin, uh, I don't think he was that dumb of i think uh, annie jacobson the the uh, she she's relying on that kind of um you know unconscious like anti-communist wacky, logic yeah, of like wacky like, dictator know, just the, yeah, it seems like the same idea of being like you know oh uh if you like play into like an iraqi's head like this is the voice of allah and show yes. like, a bearded man or whatever <laughs> he'll like stop you know if you show him like the fucking uh you know god hologram from the end of star trek 5 he'll be like oh yeah. my god like it's allah uh, uh exactly not you know fight the united states anymore well uh, so we know from yeah. that and from like Operation Wandering Soul, that these are ideas the U.S. military has pursued for a long time. Yeah, thank you. I remember, like, watching that and being like, eh, like, I don't know. Um, Yeah. No, it's bad. It's bad. I think she, uh, yeah, she she just swerves you away from that kind of, she she lures you in with, like, I actually. It's such a comforting explanation, too, because there's, like, a little bit of a conspiracy involved, but, like, doesn't implicate the United States at all. Mm -hmm. Like, and it certainly, you know, lets you write off, like, the whole mystery of, like ETs or the ultraterrestrials or dare I say, you know, the gin angle, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just like, you know, totally comforted that it was just some wacky. Yeah. It's like the ultimate, like, yeah. And I remember like, uh, John Stewart or whoever, I think it was still John Stewart then being like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, wow, <laughs> we need to restore sanity. Yeah. Uh, wacky. You know, yeah, wacky Soviets. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and yeah. also I think it's worth noting that later on in a more recent interview, maybe she did a couple of years ago, like she wrote a subsequent book about UFOs and had this like one, I don't know, Department of Defense like uh, insider that gave her like, most of her book is kind of just like the unsourced anonymous allegations of like one mysterious guy. And she, you know, basically accepts what he's saying and kind of puts it in that creative nonfiction kind of um, little casing so that you're just so compelled by, like, the story and the people that you are kind of, like, on this journey and she wants you to believe this guy. But I guess he kind of tearfully confessed to her at one point that – 
and this sounds very bizarre, but that like the U.S. also did the same thing as the Soviets. They took like developmentally disabled children who were tiny and like put them in test aircraft and like uh, I don't know, crashed them and like most of them died or something. Like because it, it, this guy was claiming that they had actually recovered a UFO at some point and that they like put like developmentally disabled like uh, who, wait, dwarf children. Been... This is an American, uh, you know, insider who's saying. That. Yeah. And that it like you know it haunts him to this day, but like you know there was right. no. I think o- I vaguely remember you telling me this story. Yeah, there was like yeah. no other way for him to, and and so immediately I hear from that is like okay now I'm thinking that like we did this and the Soviets never did, but you just threw the Soviet thing in there first to make it sound kind of like MK Ultra, like oh well they figured out brainwashing first, but then you know we ha- we were panicked and we had to put um, handicapped children into you know gliders and crash them in the desert um, <laughs> to psyop yeah, everybody. Maybe. Maybe. I just feel like that's a terrible, I mean, again, like the idea as like Jacques Vallée points out, like the idea of like dwarves, like, you know, from the hidden world, like as a big thing and like dwarves have, you know, uh, little people, you know, um, have always had like a sort of, uh, they've always been kind of sacralized in the way that um, people who are in some way non-normative have often been people who are uh, mentally, like, you know, neurodivergent or people who yeah. have physical differences Epileptics, have always in a way been But I just simply do not think that dressing up a bunch of, like, uh, and you know what? It's funny because it all reminds me of the uh, episode. Again, it's funny because, you know, people always point to the outer limits as being, like, the reason why, like, Betty and Barney Hill, like, you know, had this whole UFO experience or whatever, and, like, the mm-hmm. whole reason why people see greys and whatnot, you know, like, as because they were with something kind of, like, with wraparound eyes on the outer limits or whatever, but, you know, I think of uh, the Outer Limits episode, The Architects of Fear, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but basically, like, Alan Moore ripped it off for Watchmen. Mm, um, and it's basically, but it's a little bit more of a like uh, altered state slash the fly type story because it's weird. Like these, all these dudes in a smoke filled room, and they pick one of them to basically be transformed into a Thetan or a fake alien to undergo like this bio, this complex bio surgery to like this you know genetic sort of splicing and stuff to get basically transformed physically into this Thetan creature so that it could then fool, like, because even in the, like, show, like, they understand that, like, this has to be able to fool, like, the top scientists, you know, like, it has to be, you know, when they do the, like, they had to think, like, okay, well, this really is an alien creature. Like, I don't think that, like, it takes, like, a huge, like, you know, I, I mean... That, that to me almost like kind of falls under the whole thing of like oh these wacky like mk ultra like mm-hmm. how dumb would you be to like you know think that it was gonna fool anybody to put like a bunch of dwarves in a shitty glider and you know i almost feel like it uh, sounds way too bumbling and i almost feel like genetically or like not genetically even but like sort of frankenstein together some kind of meat puppet alien would be more feasible you know like uh kind of making uh, some kind like, of like a Fiji you know, mermaid type like, thing like, like they, they got a little come here is gulping yeah, exactly. for air like, and tanks yeah, folks go, go, poor creatures <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, yeah. the human animal chimera labs that Alex yeah. Jones has, but even has raged about for years but even something cruder than that like you know a Fiji mermaid type beast you know like something uh-huh. like a stitched together like kind of 
monkey or something, you know, like a, a bald monk, like, you know, shave a monkey or shave a chimpanzee or something like that, you know, like that. Yeah. Would yeah. Be, yeah. I don't know. But like, uh, yeah. It um, seems like there's so, there's gotta be so many more levels to this whole thing. And that, that cannot be kind of like the, the fun, the big reveal. <laughs> yeah. It was like the, this wacky, uh, like, you know, glider psyop that with like murdered children strapped into the cockpit in like a dumb attempt to uh, like scare the Americans. Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't sure even know that, if you like, would want to scare the Americans on, in that way. I mean, I, that's not to absolve like either the Americans or the Soviets of doing like messed up experiments upon like children or especially like you know people who had disabilities of any kind. You know, like I'm sure that did happen. Like I'm sure that like there were all sorts of like depraved experiments that were done. Uh, you know, on human beings, uh, you know, uh, for whatever reason. But I just don't know if, like, I buy the story of, like, the the calculus behind. It would just be, like, an incredible ineptitude that I just feel like would not fool anyone. It would just be a laughing stock, like, if they, yeah, you know. Yeah, it would be a uh, joke. Really, like, that would work as a psyop if you wanted them to think that there were no real UFOs when there actually were. <laughs> like, you know, they way, were like, oh, yeah. well, they're really grasping at straws here. Like, this is the best they come up with. Like, there must be nothing to this UFO yeah. stuff. Or, honestly, uh, I know it's still wacky, but I thought if maybe, like, some, you know, underground Reich Nazis wanted to psyop America into thinking they were UFOs, I would almost find that much more believable from their standpoint of like they don't have a lot to work with except maybe some experimental aircraft and you know they have no compunction about snatching some kids and doing horrible mangale experiments to them and make them look like whatever and um and if they could do that maybe they could you know force they could like psyop the government into creating the national security act and the cia and like gearing up for like total cold war even that i'm kind of like eh. yeah they were well, all they were all pretty could, fanatically anti-communist to begin with i don't think they needed yeah well that kind type of, of like mangala experiment like was what you would need to like create something that like looked like an alien like you know and they did do like weird like sort of experiments that like in trying to dye kids eyes blue or whatever like you know uh i mean if i'm just just wins yes ju- i'm just uh, saying for the for the argument that you know if you look at the time what was it 1947 was roswell Mm-hmm. Uh, Mangley was doing his experiments in like 1942, 1943, 44. So that means that some of the children and the uh, maybe messing with, you know, uh, yeah, like trying to breed children and things like that. His experiments at Auschwitz, uh, those mm-hmm. children, if they did indeed survive, um, would be like four or five years old. Mm. So, uh, uh, but th- of course, that's still, you know, yeah, that's, um, that's, kind yeah, of a reach a, for the whole. It is a bit of a reach, but. And uh, honestly, I mean, even the idea, you know, because there is a lot of stuff swirling around, you know, Nazis. And of course, we've talked again and again about their fascination with the occult and their yeah, um, trying to say, channel. I was going to say, I feel like they would be like, it's insulting to the aliens to imply that they would be like deformed, like, you know, intervention when like really we know aliens are like white Aryan gods. 12 like, foot tall know. Nordic chads. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah. like, yeah. Uh, maybe if a bunch of white alien gods were discovered, then it would be <laughs> like the Nazis. But yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it definitely seems like, yeah, that, that um, Amy Jacobson thumbs down.
I think the the final thing we want to talk about, like in the greater context of To the Stars Academy, Tom DeLonge, and all this stuff, is uh, is a little something we mentioned a lot before called Project Bluebeam, um, which, unlike Project Blue Book, is not a verified government program, but yes, something that Project Bluebeam is very much not that. Although it does have a lot of currency, like you hear about it a lot. I guess it's yeah, a compelling it, idea to people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I feel like it kind of does, like, sort of link up with maybe the, the John Lilly, like, solid intelligence thing, or it has some similarities with the idea that, uh, you know, Jesus, like, uh, the star in the sky was like a craft, like, all this stuff, uh, like, you see the classic blue beam, like, pit graphic, the illustration I've seen online of, like, Jesus appearing in the sky with, like, all these UFOs behind him, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, one yeah. thing I did want to bring up relative to the stars, and maybe relative to Bluebeam as well, I just kind of had an epiphany that, I mean, we might need to explore this later on, but I always remember the Outer Limits being uh, coming up and being blamed for people, you know, people thinking that aliens were real, blah, blah, blah. Like, they watched the Outer Limits, and that's why they, you know, all this UFO stuff, you know, was a, was a thing. And, uh, you know, I actually noticed... I'm reading, I, f- I did find Richard Doty's, like, one of his famous uh, little psyops that he did, which was uh, based around the idea of Project Serpo, which is basically, like, uh, a, a long sort of uh, story about uh, some troops going to an alien planet. Uh-huh. Uh, but the race of aliens that lives there are called Ebens. Um, and uh, I can't help but associate that with the episode of The Outer Limits, uh, Nightmare, which is one of the better episodes of the original Outer Limits, mm-hmm. featuring the planet Ebon and Ebonites, uh, who do look kind of like, you know, your standard alien with a big head and things. And I'm kind of wondering, like, is, you know, is The Outer Limits itself, like, a limited hangout, like, PSYOP, seeding some of these ideas, like, you know, uh... Yeah, well, but, I mean... Yeah, he also brought up the idea that, like, you know, if one reads The Yellow Book... The true and correct history of mankind is relayed by the ETEs, extraterrestrial entities, and reads between the lines. One would come away with a thought and clear impression that the Ebens is something to do with Jesus Christ, or possibly Jesus was one of them. Uh, so, hmm. yeah, there's okay. Uh, I mean, there is that. I mean, I think that that's definitely uh, something. I think we can explore at a later date. These like sci-fi shows, in particular. Yeah, I've seen over the years a lot of like really interesting stuff around Gene Roddenberry, and yeah. maybe mm-hmm. I think if there was anything that was almost like a uh, uh, it, it almost like a Sesame Street for uh, smart scientific adults, uh, it would have mm-hmm. maybe been Star Trek um, in yeah. terms of modeling a kind of utopian future and uh, kind of. You know, even though you could on the surface of it, I, I know a lot of people have, you know, referred to like the society of, you know, Starfleet or whatever is kind of like space communism. But at the same yeah, time, although it's very vague, like sometimes they're like, we have evolved beyond money. But then they're like, uh, can I have some Federation credits or whatever, you know, <laughs> or like things like yeah. that. Yeah, it just depends on like what the expediencies of the plot are. I think yeah. that that's really one of the most invidious like things or like uh, one of the most like uh, maybe perfidious is what I mean. One of the most unctuous like uh, beliefs like that has been perpetuated by Star Trek because that really is like 
the eschatology or the imagination of what the future will be that's become like dominant you know like that's the to the stories academy you know like yep. uh, the yep. idea like we're gonna go into space and like we're gonna con- colonize the universe and like it's all gonna be like about you know it's and elon, uh, yeah elon musk bezos yeah, like all these guys uh, have a kind yes. of a trekkie uh, mentality a little bit like yeah, they're gonna be the, the founding like, fathers you know, of starfleet yeah, and everyone lives to be, like, 300 years old, and, you know, like, uh, they go into the joy matrix, and they, like, come at, you know, or whatever, like, uh... They've got their it, holo deck. It's funny how they have, like, a holo deck in Star Trek, but it's not, it hasn't, like, cannibalized their entire society, and there's not just, like, masses of, like, a, a impoverished people, like, living in a holodeck. They did do one episode about a guy who, like, was addicted to the holodeck, uh, because <laughs> like, it was just, to. like, you know, uh, doing, like... Yeah, I mean, it's, like, a very PG show, but it was kind of implied that he was, like, uh, you know, having, like, this, you know, he was, like, effing Counselor Troy in there, you know, wow. and, like, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, there's so many yeah. things kind of unexplored in the, the with the kind of utopian yeah. gloss and, like, the maturity, the blank maturity of all Star Trek characters, for the most part. At least all the humans, they're all models of rationality. When you get to the yeah. Klingons, they're kind of a little uppity, and, uh, you know, the Ferengis yeah, yeah. are very money-hungry. Uh, the, yeah, they're super, <laughs> you know? like... Like, Star Trek is very, like, racist, yeah, uh, like, in, in that respect, um, yeah, and, like, the Klingons, you know, especially, like, you know, the Klingons are very much like the, the I guess, the Soviets are supposed to represent in the original show, but, yeah. uh, yeah, like, um, and I remember, I'll never forget in 2001, uh, you know, Star Trek Enterprise came out, which is, like, oh, yeah. the more, like, patriotic Star Trek, and the main enemies on that show were the, uh, the Suluban, Oh. Uh, yeah, who, uh, you know, they were, they were, uh, they were, they were Muslim alien folks, yeah. you know, they were, uh, they were, they were on a desert planet, they were, you they know, were um, space yeah, but, but yeah, exactly, um, so, yeah, but, uh, like, yeah, so The Outer Limits was, was, is, I mean, it's more of an anthology type thing, but it didn't have quite, like, the moral sort of thrust, but there were definitely, there were definitely episodes like that. You know, or that sort of typical thing you always hear, like, we're destroying, you know, you are destroying the, the day the earth is still, like, you must embrace peace. Oh, yeah, it exactly. It is the only way, you know, like, <laughs> like et cetera. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, uh, so, yeah, I just, uh, anyway, that's like, because uh, I, I think that, like, to the Stars Academy is, like, the real, like, sort of successor of the Richard Doty operation but yeah Yeah. anyway we were saying that like before we started recording that we feel like yeah the the most rational explanation for to the stars academy it is like the just the next iteration of the ufo psyop and yeah which isn't even to say necessarily like what is what is under the lid that they're actually hiding but we know that they're spreading lies and bullshit and part of it is it does have this like new agey gloss that so much of the ufo world has that kind of um that it replaces that earlier fear about aliens and a paranoia about them with a kind of like they are here to help us they are here to elevate us to the next level of our evolution and like yeah well where are even they in all this because like i feel like they are like slowly disappearing from the picture and it's like this like phenomenon that we need to understand which you know fair enough but like you know i i I won't say it's not a phenomenon but the like you know it seems like yeah like what are they like i'm just very intrigued by the whole idea of these metals that they apparently have like uh like why can we see them? What like are they real? Like what is Tom DeLong pulling? Like who yes. is this fool? And why is, is the army going to... along with it? 
Yeah, exactly. Like it's just not acceptable. Why did the Navy? Uh, and you know, it was. Uh, it was. I saw in a more recent article. Like Chris Mellon has uh, since come out and revealed himself to be like the source of all of these Pentagon, uh, like Navy yeah. videos um, mm-hmm. that he gave to uh, the New York Times, and then uh, and now he is like affiliated officially with to the Stars Academy. And is yeah. uh, he appears uh, prominently in um, the Phenomenon movie. And I had to say, just to s- sort of, um, <laughs> you know, there's something that just never stopped triggering me about it was that, uh, I think I told you before, that one of his one of the little buttons on his collar of, like, the dress shirt that he was wearing was, <laughs> yeah. like, unbuttoned, and the other one was buttoned. And so every time they cut to him, it's like his tie is, like, fucked up. And it just thought, I know it's a small thing, but it's almost like it, it, that, that almost is symbolic of the psyop that's going on here like you want me to question like how competent you people are because you're sitting down doing this whole documentary and like you don't even tell him to fix his fucking tie like what oh god you know? <laughs> it, it doesn't it that movie definitely does not kind of um elevate beyond the typical ufo bullshit culture which kind of it adds further kind of question to what tom DeLong is really up to because the content that he has produced like for the history channel and this movie so far is it's just simply like the next kind of modern iteration of UFO conspiracy movies. It's not it's not really substance. It's not leading to a qualitative change in necessarily in how people understand this phenomena. It's not really it is kind of like repackaging like, you know, past accounts and dramatizing them and showing them to you. And but it, I feel like there's not really much, except for there's like a few government people that are kind of coming out now and being like, yes, that was real or you know, yes, these videos are real. And there's still there's still a lot of supposition going on. Um I think the movie just kind of it doesn't even dive into it. It just ends it with like we need to know the truth and like, you know, well, implies yeah, well, that there's aliens behind it. It, but just sort yeah, of yeah but like all these dudes like yeah it's weird because like now at the vanguard of like the investigation or the movement for disclosure is like this like weird sus organization headed by like this dude who's like either incredibly naive or mm-hmm. like uh you know just uh a sus alert himself and like, i mean should has... be it should be mentioned there's a famous photograph you know that has circulated for a long time of him posing with his guitar which has like a customized masonic neck with little mason symbols up and down the neck so yes. he, he's a mason um <laughs> there's also a picture of him or... you know there are pictures of him meeting with him and peter lavenda meeting john podesta at the white house uh that mm-hmm. had leaked a couple years ago so somehow peter lavenda mr sinister forces nazi ufo whatever is also wrapped up in this whole crew which also includes it should you know bear mentioning like like William Cohen, who was uh, also a big UFO nut, who was Clinton's defense secretary, who was the one that brought Chris Mellon into the Pentagon, uh, and also hired I think Pete Buttigieg for you know like the Cohen Group, some sketchy like uh, kind of Wall Street intelligence like you know risk management company or something. Um, so like William Cohen is us, and then also Bill Richardson, who is like one of the most like prominently accused people in the. Epstein ring of like having sex with underage girls 
who is like the kingpin of New Mexico where Epstein had a ranch. He's also in this documentary, you know, talking a big game. And then, of course, you have John Podesta, uh, who does seem to be like very genuinely kind of jazzed. Uh, And former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, who seems a little I mean, he's always been a very low energy guy, so it's hard to tell with him. But uh, he doesn't seem as jazzed as John Podesta. But you have this whole kind of network of, you know, going from like the Rockefellers to the Mellons to then like these sort of Clinton Democrats who are like connected to Epstein and like yeah, I mean Epstein was into the fringes of science as well. I mean, he, I, he yeah, I would love to know if Epstein had a UFO fascination. Um, yeah, but I mean it, I it, he was definitely into cryogenic stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised. I mean I'm sure that he would have uh, been listening to he would be would have been open to uh, what uh, they had to say. Um, yeah. Got to the Star yeah. Academy. I uh, suppose. I suppose. Yeah, I he think. never got to uh, donate to them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and um, it should be mentioned yeah, that I, I found, I looked on Chris Mellon's Twitter, and he is part of an organization called The Steady State. And he signed a like uh, he signed a, like a public letter that was signed by like dozens of high level like government Pentagon intelligence officials uh, endorsing Joe Biden for president. And I believe this is this was signed back in the primaries uh, because it says that we believe he is like the best of all Democratic candidates to restore honor and blah 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 to America. So you know, I mean, Chris Mellon, maybe he'll get a job now. Um, in the Pentagon, even though it seems like uh, he's he's pretty far out there, but um, but uh, just well, uh, he apparently uh, still has defense connections. You know, he still has existing networks. I mean, yeah. he's like ultimately belongs to this like you know omnipotently wealthy dynasty. So I feel like he can have this yes. eccentricity and do whatever he wants. And like you know, even if it's there, I'm sure there is a stigma to it in some quarters, but. I don't know, like, maybe it's all part of, like, some kind of way to, to manage this. I don't know. Um, I mean, I th- I will say on this website, The Steady State, um, there's a link to articles, you know, that endorse, like, their opinions or maybe were written by their members. And there's one called Why We Need a Deep State <laughs> from the Hill <laughs> uh, from, uh, from earlier this year. Um, and so I feel like... That why we probably, need a deep state yeah that's, why we need a deep really state um, um yeah yes. and and they're saying yes uh but but actually you know this is kind of about that group uh there is a deep state and we need it now more than ever but it is better called the steady state and yes it exists within the intelligence community and um the steady state has members in every u.s government agency and department blah 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 um and uh so i don't know in a way like this is the deep state and uh you know they got their uh they got uh, their way this time. I mean, I guess you know, QAnon got out of Foxed. These guys, uh, these guys won, and now they're going yeah. <laughs> to, I don't know, uh, give us UFO disclosure, maybe. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, <laughs> but this is I, a funny I, quote. Uh, uh, on 1991, this is from the Fader article. Uh, on the 1991 Blink-182 album Enema of the State. DeLong wrote the song titled Aliens Exist. The next year, an interview with the Los Angeles Times, the the track was about aliens that come to Earth and fly up your butt. And it's true. Hence the enema in the album's title. I'm one of those freaks that really believes that stuff exists, he wrote in a program for the accompanying tour. I think if anybody out there does a little bit of research, they will find they side with me. Um, Yeah, he had like a lot of, uh, you know, 
uh, debates, I guess, and, and tension with his bandmate, Mark Hoppus, uh, who said he believes anything he reads. You could say, I read in a magazine that an alien landed in Australia. A doctor found him did an autopsy this for the internet, and Tom wouldn't even question it. He would take it as gospel and go around telling everybody. Wow. Well, I think they knew him pretty well. Uh, uh, yeah. So, Though I just yeah. want to say, you know, I mean, we'd be tempted here to side with Mark Hoppus for for whatever it's worth. When I was like uh, in their Target demo, uh, I always liked Mark Hoppus better than Tom. <laughs> but I liked both of them better than Travis Barker, who I always found extremely annoying and uh, <laughs> still do to this day. I never really listened to them. I did listen to Alien. I had I did hear Aliens Exist because I said I was into Aliens, so I, I yes. had encountered the song. That was like you know, but I always found like there that pop punk like uh way of performing like oh the small, small thing. like i always found that like yeah unbearable tom like, delong's uh, like tom delong's like san diego like vocal fry yeah. affect is one of the uh, uh well you're probably going to hear a little bit of it in the interludes this episode so i apologize in advance but i think i just wanted to say uh i, I don't want to let mark hoppus off the hook because i would be remiss not to mention <laughs> this uh, article from the ab club in 2018 entitled Blink-182's Mark Hoppus says he advised the military on capturing Saddam Hussein. In the early 2000s, Blink-182 is an inescapable fact of life. Their pop-punk singles dominated MTV, the radio, movies about high school kids trying to get laid, and the discmans of 14-year-olds across the world. They were so influential, in fact, that they may have even played a role in the capture of Saddam Hussein during the 2003 invasion of Iraq, at least according to bassist, vocalist, and possible military advisor Mark Hoppus. Uh, (laughs) Responding to that tweet going around uh, that asked people to share the least possible story about yourself that's true, Hoppus revealed that that roughly 15 years ago, he told American military officials his novel idea for how to locate Hussein. Um, And I guess he wrote on Twitter, uh, on an aircraft aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf, I told a Navy admiral on his way to meet with the Joint Chiefs of Staff my ideas on how to capture uh, Saddam Hussein. Um, And he elaborated, um, I guess he shared a picture uh, of him hanging out on an aircraft carrier. Uh, let's see. Let me pull it up. Uh, oh, he deleted it. Hmm, interesting. Um, but I guess, mm. the, unfortunately, this Navy admiral hanging out with uh, with Mark Hoppus on an aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf during the first year of the Iraq War ended up taking a different approach to Hussein's capture, the American military launching the successful Operation Red Dawn. Presumably, JCS was unsure of whether Blink-182's uh, cultural cachet would hold up in the future. Um, I, I feel like something's missing in this fucking article. Um, where he, I think he, he he said something. Hold on. Now I'm gonna look at uh, I'm gonna look at page six because uh, he deleted the tweet. That uh, let's see. Okay, so here's what here's what he said. Uh, at the time, Hussein was in hiding, but continued releasing videotape messages to his followers. My idea was to have trucks with big speakers drive around blasting time code just out of frequency range of human hearing, but within the dynamic range of the video camera's microphone. When Saddam released a tape, he would have inadvertently recorded the time code. Using the time code, you could go back <laughs> and pinpoint a general radius from where the truck was. With that information, you start the research. Also, knowing the general area of the recording, you can bring in more trucks to canvas there and if you don't find him and you release another videotape message you can use the multiple trucks time codes for triangulation revealing his exact location hop has explained um uh, okay um, um so i guess they didn't go with that but uh quite an elaborate plan 
using sonic warfare basically to smoke out Saddam Hussein. Uh, why yeah, why was, was he like, on? During that time when like it was like punk to like want to kill Saddam Hussein. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. You know, like uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, like that was it was a time when like being punk was like you know really hating Bin Laden or <laughs> like what you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that was a, that very. Like, they don't hate Bin Laden enough. <laughs> like you know. Like, they should have um, changed their name to War Crime. Well, yeah, they should have. Exactly. Yeah, then they would have gotten. They just would have gotten. You know, it's all about getting attention. So people will come to a show. It's okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Like take um, off your pants and jacket or something like that. I jumped uh, off the. I, I'm happy to say I jumped off the Blink 182 train when I like turned 13. Uh, Enema of the State was the last mm-hmm. album I bought of theirs, and I found mm-hmm. them incredibly annoying by the time like high school uh, and like 9/11 came around. But I, <laughs> I, I, and I, I forget exactly what. Um, I think either Mark Hoppus dad or Tom DeLonge's dad. Let's just do a little, you know, before we get out of here, let's just do a little uh, quick bio uh, sweep because I feel like one or both of their dads were in the aerospace industry in Southern California. Um, mm. Oh, uh, Tom Thomas Matthew DeLong was born in Poway, California. His father was an oil company executive and his mother mm. a mortgage broker. Okay. Um, so, I mean, uh, I think that maybe he is uh, – his brother was in the United States Army. Yeah, let's see. And Mark Hoppus, uh, his deal, um, he was <laughs> – wow, Okay. Um, he was born in Ridgecrest, California. Uh, Ridgecrest is a small town in the California desert, compri- composed mainly of what Hoppus later described as, quote, geniuses, scientists, physicists, and then just complete strung out meth heads. Okay, I'm thinking that, yes, it's in, okay, it's in, oh my God, it's in Kern County and it is adjacent to the Naval Air Weapon Station at China Lake. <laughs> my God. Uh... Um, oh, oh, get this. Oh, okay. His father, Hoppus's father, like many in Ridgecrest, worked for the U.S. Department of Defense, designing missiles and bombs for the town's Navy testing center. Cool. Uh, um, um, okay, so, yeah. Well, my thing is that, like, Tom DeLonge, like, clearly thinks that, like, he has been, I mean, whether it's naive or not, he really does think he has been chosen by, like... I, I wonder if, like, he thinks that some kind of E.T., like, came to him and, like, told him that he had been anointed for this task. But at the very least, he thinks that some kind of, uh, like, the government has picked him to, like, you yes. know, do this. Maybe, maybe in fact, yes. they have. You well, know? I mean, they uh, were together you know, back then, so I don't know. Something, you was know? Tom yeah. DeLong also on that Navy aircraft carrier in 2003, you know? Like, uh, yeah. Like, it's I mean, they, yeah. I, I wonder if they were on, like, you like a USO tours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, why, why the fuck else would they be? Um, yeah, it must like, be a USO thing. They yeah. Which is, you know, like, interesting about these punks. Uh, and yeah. I feel like nobody even called them out at the time for like standing the U S military and like supporting me, even going out of their way, very steely Dan, by the way, um, you know, uh, just doing a little side work with the defense department, you know, in between their radical musical career. Um, it's just like, wow. And yeah, I think it is fascinating that that nobody at the time, I mean, you had kind of, in terms of like West coast, like pop punk, you had like green day, like kind of break in one direction. And then 
I guess Blink-182 broke in another direction, but I feel like nobody, you know, in contrast to people like, say, like the Dixie Chicks or something, like, I don't know. You think in, like, the punk world, maybe that just shows you how, like, depoliticized and maybe how inherently right-wing punk music is. This is like, you know, there's holes, I think, in... This is another The Drive article that I'm reading now. And there's, like, holes in Tom DeLonge's hole. I mean, he obviously is working very closely with Louis Elizondo. And, like, you know, the connection of Chris Mellon to, to the stars is always, like, sort of concealed whenever he... You know, he's represented as, like, this independent, like, whistleblower guy. But yeah. really, all these figures that are, like, ro- doing this rollout are connected. And there's holes in, like, what Tom DeLonge also says. Like, uh, this, again, this is from The Drive... Uh, whoever, you know, has led this push uh, to investigate Tom DeLonge on the drive, uh, shout out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Tom is clearly a highly uh, creative, passionate, talented, and resourceful guy. It is remarkable what he has accomplished, regardless of the circumstances, and in so many ways, many people who have had a high interest in this topic can't help but root for To the Stars Academy's success. At the same time, considering the incredible subject matter and Tom's own words, we can't be naive as to the other forces potentially at play when it comes to The Stars Academy and the information and products it distributes. Doing so would be directly in opposition to what everyone's goal should be, finding out the truth regardless of if it fulfills personal wishes or reinforces long-standing beliefs. The U.S. government has a history of using the prominence of UFOs in popular culture and the media to their advantage and has even worked to perpetuate narratives about them that, it's, that support its clandestine goals. This is not a rumor or a takeaway. It is a historical fact that can't be denied. We aren't going to dive deeply into all the potential reasons for the government to want to make a new approach when it comes to this topic, but they range from full-on disclosure and conditioning for that event to pushing misinformation to protect clandestine programs regardless of their technological origin. You know, we talked about all this. Mm-hmm. Uh but, but as I've said many times before, the sky will look very different than it has in the past and years and decades to come. Swarming drones, advanced unmanned combat air vehicles, hypersonic weapons, new low observable aircraft designs, directed energy weapons of many types, the rapid mm. militarization of space, and even active camouflage and advanced aircraft are just some of the things that will be present overhead in the not-too-distant future if they are not already. In addition, the U.S. military and its contractor partners could have made major breakthroughs in exotic propulsion technologies within the deeply classified realm that would all but require a good cover story, at least for the time being. Just as during the height of the Cold War, being able to easily discount sightings of exotic flying machines and aerospace capabilities can be quite advantageous, and especially in an age when everyone has a high-definition video camera in their pocket, sadly, we are now also living in a time when great power competition is once again a very real thing. This means a burst in clandestine weapons research and development and the rapid fielding of new military capabilities. Also, just tying up a foreign power's intelligence gathering resources by having them invest heavily into trying to discern if the U.S. is a new exotic weapons capability or if threats the U.S. armed services say exist are out of its, mm-hmm. and they are out of its control are indeed real can be a highly advantageous strategic ploy. Um, blah, blah. So to get uh, down to, to Tom DeLonge, in other words, it's really hard to understand how to the Stars Academy would be a better choice uh, for this information uh, than, say, Lincoln Labs. That is, it's weird to believe Tom's story and his claims, the shadowy government figures that opened so many doors for him actually had genuine intent and that they more or less chose him for such a reality-changing task after hearing his pitch. Uh, but then again, maybe that's a whole idea. The information may have to live in a gray area of plausibility for a long period of time before people are conditioned to accept it as hard fact. Um... You know, uh, so, yeah, uh, is Tom DeLong a so-called useful idiot in espionage parlance? Someone being used unwillingly via catering to their visions of grandeur and Hollywood tropes of cloak-and-dagger adventure? That would explain why his story of assembling his remarkable team seems to be a bit too convenient. 
Or is he shepherding in a new era that could end in fantastic realizations that could shake the very nature of our society and possibly even human consciousness? We are not capable of answering that question definitively at this time, but by Tom DeLogg's own repeated admissions, it seems the government is, or at least was, a key and even managing partner in his now very high-profile endeavor. If this isn't actually the case, Tom largely lied about how it all came to be. Uh, and we really shouldn't be buying much of what he or to the Stars Academy are peddling anyway. And they say, uh, Nat, you know, in an update, and this is in uh, 2019 in June, mm-hmm. NASA has gotten back to us about DeLong's claims that he met with officials at NASA, and in particular at Ames Research Center. I specifically inquired for the 2016 and the prior time frame. Their response reads in part, I've checked with a few centers and none of them have records of issuing a visitor's badge to Mr. DeLong, including Ames. So, uh, wow. he's perpetuating shit as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I <clears throat> I was just uh, taking a second there to look, and uh, there are pictures of him posing with uh, <laughs> a Prince Hall Freemason group wearing an apron. Uh, so I think, uh, I assume that photo is genuine. Uh, he also, like, has, like, a jacket with a bunch of, like, Freemasonic symbols all over it. So he's very into being a Mason. And uh, This is such a sus Tom DeLonge quote. Uh, this is what I said to a few of them, I guess, you know, the people who was pitching on his idea. I was like, do you know what this would do? It would change who we elect in office. It would change the amount of money we appropriate and allocate to these programs. We had the biggest space program that we've ever had, thousands of times bigger than Apollo. And it would be part defense and it would be part exploration. And people would run to be a part of it and help. It'd be like the day after 9-11, where uh, everyone wanted to sign up to the military. Oh, <laughs> Great. my God. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, I think we're calling out like blink 182 is a like defense department psyop uh i just uh, realized what 182 adds up to 10 uh 11 oh you're right it does uh, interesting <laughs> um, interesting um, and i oh, yes. i will say also just a weird little uh, synchronicity here i just found a stock photo of travis barker playing uh, in front of a big American flag uh, during a USO benefit show in 2003 on the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier. So I assume that is what they were doing. They were there to play for the crew members of the USS Nimitz. Very Wait, interestingly. That sounds familiar to me. Yeah, well, it does because the USS Yes, yeah. the, ne- the very wow. next year, the USS Nimitz was the aircraft carrier where the pilots encountered that Tic Tac UFO. And he was he was there just a little while. He's on that very same ship. It's like wow, Jim uh, Morrison's yeah. dad on the you know at the Gulf of Tonkin. Um, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. they're definitely so, yeah. up to something. I guess Angels like, and Airwaves as well is also that's his solo project now. And I guess that's Angels like, and Airwaves. Even the logo of it is like the Freemasonic. Yeah, I remember uh, kind of like uh, yeah, like I remember emo girls like being into that in high school angels and airwaves like mm-hmm. uh, yeah um, yeah yeah and you know i think uh i don't know before we kind of uh, wrap up i just wanted to point out like we were talking about i forgot to mention earlier uh that you know the big thing about ets and their big heads and everything they look a lot of, they look an awful lot like uh iwas yeah, they do. You they know, lo- well, like Alistair Crowley's like uh, uh, Lamb. Oh, sorry, like, Lamb. I don't know if Iwas. Yeah, I mean, Iwas and Lamb are sometimes associated, I guess. But um, yeah, Iwas. Iwas had the portrait of the guy with the big head um, um, in 1904. Yeah. 
Um, but I guess he, I don't know if he... Wasn't Lamb the one who... I there think were that two. was Lamb. I, I, I was, yeah. yeah I was and like Lamb a, were both... Lamb um, is a Tibetan word for way or path, and Lama is he who goeth. It's a big title for the gods of Egypt, the treader of the path, and Buddhist phraseology. Uh, that was like what accompanied the, the picture of, of the being that kind of looks like a gray... Yeah. yeah, and if you I look mean, uh, if you look up yeah. uh, like if you just type in Crowley like Lamb or Crowley Iwas, you'll even see like sketchings of like a gray next to Iwas and um, yeah, because well, uh, also saying the yeah. drawing of a demon. Um, yeah, which, Iwas was the voice that kind of uh, spoke to him. Um, yeah, but uh, in terms of yeah, Lamb was I think what was supposed to be that being. But anyway. Uh, yeah, um, in magic and theory and practice, Iowa is firmly identified by Crowley as a devil, Satan, Lucifer, whose emblem is Baphomet. Uh, yeah, so... Sus, gin, UFOs uh, is what it sounds like. Yeah, I think that, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I mean, you know, there's a famous thing about the association between the Greys and the Babylon working happening just before, like, these mass of, uh, you know, uh, alien encounters that occurred, you know, like the... Mm-hmm. The Babylon yeah. working like just preceded the uh Marjorie Cameron yeah. saw UFOs. Right. We, yeah, we went she, over that. Well, yeah, she was saying that she saw like, you know, uh the flying saucers before uh, you know, uh Kenneth Arnold famously named them. But yeah, the Babylon working happened, you know, in nineteen forty six and Roswell happened in nineteen forty seven and like, you know, the first flying saucers were kind of being seen in nineteen forty seven. Um, yes yes exactly so they all they did pop up at this specific time which i don't know part of me feels like uh but you know but i think that valet's point that they didn't really is good because like it's just the way that they're perceived it's the idea that they're saucers and now like they're not even seeing really the saucers anymore like they do not look the way they look like you know they showed the mcminnville ufo in the documentary, The Phenomenon, that yeah. does not look like the Tic Tac, you know, like, no, because no. what we think of advanced technology as looking like is very different now. And like now these UFOs look like as you would, th- you know, they don't look like, you know, these like chrome saucers anymore. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but which, again, also could potentially track with the development of technology we actually have. Yeah, you could, for you could sure. kind of take it either way, right? You but could say this is what couldn't track with it is stuff like, you know, yeah, you could make all sorts of explanations. And again, like there's possibly like a separation between the UFO phenomenon and the, induct- uh, the abduction phenomenon and things like that. Sure. But you know, a lot of these UFO encounters like do involve sort of seeing beings. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it could be. Well, to, like, most of what they come out with for, in terms of To the Stars and, like, you know, the whole thing with the New York Times doesn't deal with, like, you know, the uh, more out-there aspects of this. But, like, these things that, you know, like, traditionally, like, going back for a long time, they always have been associated with these other phenomena. And there's also this kind of wink-wink implication that they are this kind of threat that, like, we yeah. don't know, like, where it comes from, that they could come from outer space. You know, astronauts have encountered them, such and such. So it kind of is winking at that, even though they're talking about them in terms of these advanced aircraft. And, like, that kind of does track with the idea, like, oh, we're going to provide these metals to you. You know, uh, the alchemy, like, the metals, you know, the metal, exotic mm. metallurgy. Like, it's all, you know. But, uh, yeah, like, I, uh, you know, it's, uh, so that, like, you know, is very much in their kind of wheelhouse of, like, trying to show, like, the strategic value of this and trying to make everyone sign up for the military, like, after 9-11, but, like, really, if you think about this phenomenon, like, they're, like, 
people have experienced this like for a long time people have yes. been abducted forever like by fairies by like all sorts of beings like you know even in the salem accounts like yeah. where someone would find themselves unable to move and yep. like a monkey being would come in through their window and they yep. would try to like you know attack it but they wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. this is like reminds me this is so tracks perfectly with some of these UFO experiences, you can say, like, well, the same thing, because there's sleep paralysis, and, like, they are fine, but, like, the fact is that, you know, uh, there's always, there's always outliers, maybe in some cases it is sleep paralysis, but, like, whatever the phenomenon is, it's experienced as something different, you know, it has these features, and they are associated with, like, this UFO thing, like, the UFOs mm-hmm. appear before, and, like, in the Betty and Barney Hill incident, you know, they saw the UFO first, you know, uh, it's so, so like yeah i don't know like i i don't i don't know like if uh, i just think it's like it's technology getting more and more sophisticated because you know uh i feel like the tropes of it have existed for so long you know is like it, again like the, is the airship thing true like was that really like thomas edison's flying like you know <laughs> ufo thing with these big propellers or whatever like a steampunk yeah. ufo like i don't know yeah, like there's something know. more to it you I know, don't know like um, uh and all these weird you, you know uh yeah but who knows all i can say uh, yeah. is i'm, I, I'm I, yeah yeah eh. i'm excited um our our next episode is gonna be you know we're jumping back behind the iron curtain the other side of the iron curtain again and i think we'll dive deeper into what the soviet scientists were thinking about all this phenomenon maybe that'll help shed some light on the immense um i don't know is it dracularity with the ufos um it Uh, it kind of isn't because i feel like i don't know like the the actual impact of them is so ambiguous uh that it's it's uh, um i think maybe maybe there's a different term to come up like the yeah infinite slipperiness there is a certain dracularity to the ufos but yeah it's a bit different because um in a way uh the ufos have like a greater dracularity than uh dracula almost uh because <laughs> but i feel like they are like in a way on the same continuum dracula yeah there is not maybe as ambiguous because but dracula also has like a certain seductiveness definitely like you know even in the original story there's like an allure sure. to, to dracula you know and i and think some that, of these ets do you know i mean y- well the, yeah the ones for that sure. want to help us you know yeah even you know let's show you a star map you know like uh uh-huh. and uh yeah and i think that uh you know the whole idea of the dead like and the connection between uh aliens and the dead i mean if you think about plan nine from outer space what was their plan you know to resurrect the dead like you know the comet appeared uh in uh night of the living dead and that sure. was what sort of caused these uh zombies to rise mm. uh that's an interesting kind of wrinkle i i'd, I'd be interested to learn like what um you know uh like uh that like sort of the thing. spirit alien like, connection in a way i mean well if you think about like the witch's sabbath you know what do they do you know uh the whole myth of it is that or the whole uh tr- you know topos of it is that they're you know they're in their beds and they go somewhere to like congregate with this goat being you know and like worship it or whatever and fly in the air 
So and they're, they're doing remote viewing, you know? and then they yeah, they're kind of doing gin, re- and they're kind of <laughs> doing remote viewing, but they're also kind of like being taken away, you know, through the air. Like that's what abductees describe. Like you know, yeah. and a lot of the time, like you know, they're they're going maybe astrally or something. And sometimes they're going yeah. physically, but like the nighttime flight, you know, to like mm-hmm. this distant place to commune with these other beings, you know, and the like the folkloric like tropes of this are mm-hmm. you know uh like you know very common into like many different uh figurations so i don't know like uh there's so- i think you know yeah there's something going on here i mean and uh yeah i Something's think we did a, definitely we did a good going job on. yeah there's there's yeah. something we need to have a total and complete shutdown on outer space until we yes. can figure out what's going on uh yeah i agree um, i agree yeah. um okay so i think uh, uh i think for now we can leave it there we're we're gonna probably there's a few vectors that we touched on i think in this yeah uh, we didn't really get into blue beam but i feel like blue beam could maybe be its own app i don't know yeah uh, it probably could be because actually i i didn't realize how interesting the 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 french canadian guy who uh, uh <laughs> yeah, came Sergei. up with that monast yeah yeah uh and his uh, his kind of conspiracies about masons and all this stuff and now maybe that uh we could say that from the day as well as jacques Velli, who has a lot of interest yeah i think uh, that when we do mothman going into some of his stuff and some oh, of yeah. john keel's stuff which is kind of in a similar vein will be mm-hmm. good uh yeah. yeah no for sure for sure yeah. but um uh but yeah, because yeah. we're doing Mothman one day, you know. Maybe we're definitely doing time. Mothman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the more I see, the more I think there, you know, maybe there's a little more meat on those bones. Uh, if Jacques Vallee was so interested. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, next time um, on the Alwara frequency uh, on Patreon, we'll, we'll be tackling the uh, the immense topic of Soviet parapsychology research and. You know, I think we'll be able to do a little compare and contrast for the first time. All this uh, yeah, spooky we'll be Stanford about, stuff. We'll be learning all about their plots to uh, put little dwarves in a glider. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that comes up. Desert. Uh, we'll, yeah. see, we'll see if it comes up. But uh, yeah, um, that'll be that'll be coming up next. Um, so you know, until next time, uh, don't believe in. Like right wing pop pop punk pop punk guitarists who are Freemasons, and uh, um, yeah, keep your eyes on the sky. Keep your eyes uh, on yeah, both for beings beings little and and large. Um, you know, watch out. Uh, yeah, and yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, watch watch the History Channel. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but don't um, get psyoped. Yes, um, you know, uh, yeah, don't get psyoped, um, don't, uh, you know, if you, um, encounter a steampunk airship guy, um, you know, insist on being brought aboard, uh, to take a look at his locomotive, um, yes. or his air locomotive, or what have you, um, yes, yes. and, uh, yeah, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, some old Blink-182 quotes. Um, I noticed that, didn't they do Adam's song? Am I right? Yes, yes. I noticed um, that, like, one of their things for, like, uh, it was, like, um, the, like, you know, materials. It was, like, uh, something, like, you know, alternative, like, you know, 
uh, dynamic, like, aerospace materials or whatever, like, atom or whatever. Oh, so no, no. Maybe, yeah. It traced right. the cord back to the wall. You know, oh, it was actually powered by perpetual energy. Like, wow. You know. Okay. So, uh, yeah, everybody go back and listen to Enema of the State. Even that title yeah. is kind of sus. Um, but, yeah, go, yes. go listen to Blink-182. Don't get psyoped by it. And uh, until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Peace. Yeah.